I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. I'm Aaron. And this is Text Trek. Engage. aboard the Starship Texas for the 182nd installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek, old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere Network. Uh, today we are discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 13, the Season 4 finale, Coming Home, written by Michelle Paradise and directed by Ulatunde Sami, and also Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 3, Assimilation, written by Kirsten Beyer and Christopher Monfetti, and directed by lover of Howard the Duck and mother of Marty McFly, Leah Thompson. And would-be lover of Marty McFly. <laughs> yeah, she had her way. Um, ducks and incest. That's a, that's a hell of a way to, to start off our, our podcast. But... I think she's a good person for a time travel episode. Yeah, it kind of works. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Well, we also have Aaron joining us, not not from Austin, Texas, but over in sunny L.A., who is going to be uh, talking about not only the location shooting they did in this episode of Picard that we're going to jump into in a moment, but he's also going to tell us about the 10 forward bar that he was able to check out. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, just real quick before we uh, ask you too much about that, I just want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, remind everyone, I will be at Star Trek Mission Chicago, and I think that's two weeks, April 8th through the 10th. Yeah, so um, that's actually my birthday, April 10th, so I'll be over there in Chicago. If anyone sees me, say hi. And I think Starfleet Boy and I might do a meetup at some point, so keep your ears to the ground for that if you're interested in that, if you're going to be in the area. And uh, yeah, I just want to also point out there was some big Star Trek news this week with the casting announcement for... Um, some, uh, some dude from a vampire show called Paul Wesley playing a character called James T. Kirk that sounds vaguely familiar, but yeah, just a lot of people really freaked out about that. I just want to remind everyone that Anson Mount isn't going anywhere. Rebecca Romaine isn't going anywhere. Um, they, they said in the story that Anson's going to remain a regular character. I, I, I put that on Twitter and people were panicking like, oh my God, he's not a lead actor anymore. He's a regular character. It's like, like. No, it's like a contractual thing, how actors are credited and, and paid. He leads our regulars. It's fine. Calm down. He's not going anywhere. So everyone just take a chill pill on that. Just wanted to bring that up and air that out real real fast. It feels like if the TikTok hadn't been leaked that we never would have heard about it. Yeah, they didn't want to announce that now right before season one. But yeah, yeah. The, um, that's the, that's the you know problem you have with shooting on location, I guess. Uh, you know, they might got like some really cool footage of downtown Toronto, but that's the price you pay. <laughs> Was there a TikTok just showing him strolling around? The, these high school girls recognized him from the Vampire Diary and mm. put videos of him. He actually was nice enough, like, he took, like, a picture with them. And I'm mm. sure he got his ass chewed out for that. <laughs> yeah. But what are you going to do? Like, the picture, there is, he couldn't have stopped it. The pictures were getting out there, so this happens. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
they learned from their Klingon leak where they were like, oh, no, we're not going to – that's not a Klingon. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that dude got fired. Um, yeah. And I don't I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but one of the Discovery Season 1 writers had uh, got in some hot water with that stuff. But, uh, yeah, that, that that happens. But calm down. Anson Mount's not going anywhere. We'll, just, let's just not even worry about Season 2. Let's just enjoy Season 1 and anticipate that. But also, Aaron, let's talk about 10 Forward. And I actually – for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, I have some uh, uh, some images – that Aaron's provided that I'll be sharing Some cellular photographs. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it's uh, it was downtown Los Angeles. Uh, you basically signed up online and you could choose whether you got a table, a bar spot, or like the little tables that we, where you in the middle of the room are little circular ones with like a stool. So we got uh, just a regular table. And when we got there, you're waiting in line outside and they've done their best to kind of make it feel like it's that outside from, you know, where we saw and there's sort of like a little alleyway that the building is in. So it's, it simulates that, but it's also way too clean and <laughs> nice looking compared to the, the alleyway. And they have like a, a, a fake uh, pole outside that has the Forward Avenue sign on it. And they had the sign that I had been trying, that I had taken screenshots of and stretched and fixed in Photoshop and tried to read, completely readable <laughs> there about uh, Hermosa, the Hermosa quake and how, you know, what parts of downtown survived and stuff like that. So that was very cool. So the waiting for the, you know, when you're waiting in the line, you know you're in the right spot when you see people wearing Starfleet uniforms or whatever. And then they had a big uh, kind of a photo background that you could get your picture taken in front of. So uh, so that was the outside. What uh, was the photo the, background? Outside there was just like, it was the Picard logo in CBS probably or Paramount or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then inside there is like a, it's the 10 forward logo with like a painted, uh, um, Vulcan salute. Mm-hmm. So people stood in front of that. So there's, but there's basically every place there was sort of a photo shoot opportunity. Mm-hmm. They had stairs. They they did replicate the stairs in that show pretty well. You've got like the panels that were rescued from the uh, ten forward on the the Enterprise that are in there. Somebody asks like, do you think these are the real ones? And you like knock on them. And it sounds like they're like made of cast iron. I'm like, I don't think they'd be this hard and heavy on like a TV show. They'd make it a little bit lighter to move around. So I, I don't think they're the originals. But there's that, and uh, there's a big neon sign of, of this logo. Uh, so people took a lot of pictures on the steps, and they had a little shop in the back. Uh, the bar looked pretty much like it did on the show. Like, all the stuff that's in there was stuff that did appear in the, in the show, just sort of rearranged. And because you have a, a large group of people, you can't make it feel very intimate like a bar. <laughs> so it's a, it was more like 10 Forward Restaurant or yeah. the... Uh, 10 forward cafeteria and, and cafeteria also because you have, you get your food on trays. But what was cool is they, they definitely streamlined it by you order your food on an app. You never have to stand in line or anything. And it just, and your food and drink come that way. That's very modern. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. It was, uh, I, I think, you know, if you had this at, say, like Comic Con or something like that or Starfleet or Mission Chicago, you'd have to have something like that because there's no way you could get all those people in there and, so you can kind of see how it's it has spots like this, and it, yeah, I had my my T-shirt that I made was the Arcanus Logger, uh, which was the sign in Star Trek Three Two. Mm-hmm. McCoy's yeah. bar. Oh, oh yeah. nice, yeah, yeah, that's great. But I, I noticed, by the way, in that in that that uh, last pick, that it's like it's not filled with a million people. No, it, it's it's it, there's a lot of people, but not like tons and tons of people. They did their best to there's there were three basically shifts. So you've had 4.30. I don't know why you want to go to 4.30. <laughs> it's really early. Uh, uh, 6.30 and 8.30. So 
you know, if you've had a hard day, 4.30 could, could be yeah, when it's no, time it's like to start. A, it's happy hour. If you get off work at 4. And the Romulan ale was very easy to drink. I think it, in universe it would not taste like this, but it was made to be super sweet. So you could just drink the whole thing. Like, oh, I drank that really fast. <laughs> I drank so many blue concoctions that were labeled Romulan ale. Like, like anytime you do like a Star Trek mm-hmm. drink menu, you have to yeah. have something blue called Romulan ale. It's always different. Yeah. It's all- it's it nev- it's never beer, which is what what it w- an L would be a beer, but yeah, it's uh, that's yeah. cool. So they had, along the wall, they had these fun posters and stuff like that, and little photos that that they've taken. And I actually found one photo uh, stock image that I used for a client that was on the wall that had been photoshopped. The guy was turned into a Klingon, <laughs> so it was just very weird to see. Like, oh, that's from that genetics company, um, <laughs> but yeah. I really like that the um, that, that that it wasn't so packed that you couldn't do those photo ops. Yeah, no, I, very nice. We had a very weird experience the first time we went, went twice. Ian ordered Chateau Picard, my friend Ian, uh, and my basically co-creator of Night Shift, which was our Star Trek improv. And he got this and he's drinking. He's like, this is brown water. I'm like, it's not brown water. He's like, no. And it like looked at it and just like, oh, no smell, nothing. It was brown water. So he uh, he didn't. He's like, oh, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm like, no, this is not wine. Go go up and ask. So they asked the uh, bartender and he's just like, I have no idea what happened. Like where this came from, so we're a little worried. This, like, you know, so our 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 in retcon idea was that it was Ferengi that were siphoning off the Chateau uh, Picard and like replacing it with this so they could make profit off of it. No, now you know what replicated Chateau Picard tastes like. So. Well, yes, nothing. <laughs> but once he got it, it was actually quite good. But yeah, and I believe that's a photo if you're watching YouTube of. Uh, that was a 70s uh, fan film. Fan film, yeah, that Andorian. Yeah, and that's the, the Andorian. Uh, not Thalen, but Theron or something like that. Nice. A similar name, yeah. So pretty cool. And I haven't translated or figured out what language some of these little postcards are. I'm assuming that they're something you could translate. Haven't got that far yet. But yeah, so this uh, the, this uh, music festival, the uh, Stardust City Music Festival, was a poster that was in the background in Thad's bedroom in Nepenthe on the first hmm. season of Picard. That's really cool. And they, they had uh, like some guided wardrobe. Yep. So and part of it is like I, I normally would be taking z- zillion pictures and like details and everything, but I was just having fun. And it was sort of like I just hmm. <laughs> take as many photos as I maybe normally would have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. That happened to me on the on the Star Trek cruise. Oh, yeah. I didn't take as many pictures that I, as I probably should have. But yeah, I was busy trying to relax and enjoy myself. Yeah, Ian and I decided to also try a little bit of sharpening our improv chops with the two people that were dressed as there was a uh, Tal Shiar agent and an Orion. Ian was talking with the Orion and they were basically, I think, smuggling weapons. Uh, the Tal Shiar would not talk to me because I was Starfleet. <laughs> there was just all these. So they, they kind of had their, their story, which was kind of cool. Nice. But uh, yeah, so we had we had a lot of fun doing that. But yeah, so it was a really nice experience. It was cool for the fans. It didn't feel overly structured which i think was nice after all hearing you know for weeks about the star wars hotel and how you know you, you from 9 to 9 15 you have to be here and then you do lightsaber training you know that uh no they did not play klingon acid punk unfortunately we, we got sorry joel um yeah we had basically what uh Stephen cochran would have in his uh basically in his jukebox so okay i mean that works too school. but yeah, uh it's old school rock. <laughs> it's very old you school. picked up some merch right yeah, I actually shop. got some some stuff. They actually sold the metal trays that the food came in, and I think we figured out that it's literally the trays that the food were in because they've been cleaned, as opposed to just being freshly minted off of whatever. I got the Arcanus Lager, uh, basically beer glass. Nice. Uh, Ooh. And it has ten forward on the other side. Yeah, and then I got a ten forward shot glass. 
But there's a there was a jacket. There's a T-shirt. Uh, they had two posters. One is of the Stargazer, and the other one is of uh, the evil Walt Disney Concert Hall at the from the Confederation. <laughs> so, I had to pick that up just because it was just funny because it's like uh, living in Los Angeles and seeing that all the time. But yeah, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. I hope they do something like that again. I was talking with uh, Bill from Trek Geeks, and it'd be nice if this sort of thing could go to places other than like New York and L.A. Just like take it to different locations where more people could experience it yeah you know what's a trendy town austin texas <laughs> yeah maybe during south by southwest more pop-ups more trek pop-ups and each uh, night there was a different food truck so the first night was like four types of toasted cheese sandwiches which was like uh okay it wasn't bad but it was just sort of it, a lack of of uh just any kind of protein or anything like that. So, but the, the that night that we went was Taco Tuesday. Of course, we had everybody had the joke I'm like, "What's a Tuesday?" Uh, <laughs> from Discovery. But uh, and we did get a chant of lower decks going because there were people, and I don't know how I managed to not get them in the the photos. But there was a Shacks, uh, Tendi, uh, Mariner, and um, I don't think there was Rutherford, but it was somebody else. Uh, so they were all dressed in their lower decks uniforms. So that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, so we're like, lower decks, lower decks. That <laughs> <laughs> lasted about like five or six of those, and then they, the people stopped. <laughs> but yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, they needed somebody else in a different show's uniforms to shout back. Yeah, well, I was in another Picard uniform, so like, so yeah, it was fun. I, Picard season one. I don't know. I can't keep up with the uniforms practically. <laughs> Well, it had occurred to me the, just the other day, they are now, uniforms in Star Trek have become so non-uniform that we're at the same place as lightsaber hilts are in the other Star franchise, <laughs> where you can just design whatever you want and stick it in a fan film and and sell it <laughs> and it, you you what are they gonna do you don't put the, as long as you don't say star trek or starfleet uh right it, yeah. it, it might this could be a star trek uniform on some <laughs> ship somewhere you know that is true. just like but... this funny shaped metal thing could be a lightsaber on somebody's robe you know <laughs> so... i have like a halogen flashlight that looks exactly like it should be a lightsaber hilt yeah yeah so somebody so... should get on that and start marketing custom starfleet uniforms that are not actually any particular uniform but look like they absolutely could be there. And as long as they're cool as hell, people will buy them. That feels like the stuff that you see pictures like, oh, this person looks like they're from Starfleet, where you'll have a shirt that just has like a, a black swoop or something like that, where it, it feels like, you know, Starfleet bounding instead of Disney bounding or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would like to see some little bit more consistency in the in the uniforms on on the modern Star Trek shows. But there's there's been hints that Prodigy is going to sync up to one of the Picard variants. and Well, yeah, I feel <laughs> We'll see what happens. The gray, like, that did kind of look like that one. The the was it the cadet uniforms or the cadet uniform? And then the yeah. Admiral Janeway uniform on Prodigy doesn't look that different from the season two Picard uniform. So yeah, they 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 look like they're in the same fleet. They're just uh well, everybody has replicators, it. so it's like now you can just like maybe they each ship can have their own little variation. You can <laughs> sort of like when you pick and choose when you add things in, you have a almost a clip art, but it's a set amount of like just these are the changes that you can make to each each outfit. Swoop <laughs> on the I'm left, going... swoop on the right. You know, like... <laughs> I, I I think I, I my head cannon is going with the old um, the gimmick that they use to try to explain the different patches in TOS that different fleets have different uniforms and but the, whoever the admiral is for that fleet can pick what almost whatever the hell they want they they got the clip art list so so we saw the picture of james t kirk with a different patch the problem is 
two times in 50 years or three times counting uh, the Enterprise episode where you saw the Defiant, those patches were mistakes. And I've literally since high school been following this. <laughs> it's a long time. I went to UCLA and into the Roddenberry archives and found the paper that talks about like the Delta is the same for everybody on every ship unless you're a merchant marine or a cargo vessel and then you can do your own thing. But otherwise, it's that. And it's like these they list the two episodes. These were mistakes. Don't do this again. And now it seems like they're just going to, to throw that away. And so like the 30 years of arguing about this is just like out the window. <laughs> it's yeah. You found that memo? I thought I thought Larry Nemechek unearthed that uh, a few years ago. I had somebody go there and pick it up, and then we both got it at the same time, basically. Okay. So. That was yeah. like right before Discovery premiered, because I remember people talking, like, why mm-hmm. do they have the Deltas on Discovery? And Yeah. Okay, cool. I think well, that might have actually been what uh, got us to go try and find this thing. Right. Because we knew it existed. It just was yeah. not where. But if you go with the different fleet the idea yeah. for uniforms or patches, if you want right. to, then you can ha- explain why several ships have the same uniform, but not all the ships have the same uniform. So it, it's a something right. of a fix. That makes sense. So. Well, let's talk about this episode of Star Trek Picard. I'll just uh, recap it real quick by reading the official synopsis, and then we'll kind of expand on that with some spoilers, and then we'll each just give a, a quick uh, general take on it before we talk about it in more detail, but... The official synopsis reads, Picard and the crew travel back to 2024 Los Angeles in search of the Watcher, who can help them identify the point at which time diverged. Seven Rathi and Rios venture out into an unfamiliar world, 400 years in their past, while Picard and Gerardi attempt to gather information from an unlikely and dangerous ally. And yeah, basically, uh, Picard and Gerardi get the information they need from the Borg Queen, while Rafi and Seven track down the Watcher, and Rios ends up getting uh, detained by ICE, by immigration. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's what's going on. We'll uh, just each kind of give our, our broad thoughts on the episode, but I'll go first real quick, and I said last week that I hoped that this episode we would have the time travel. I, I was pretty sure it was going to happen. I just was hoping it would happen closer to the beginning of the episode than the end of the episode. Uh, I was ready to get out of that alternate timeline and into the 2020s because we knew the show was headed there. So the, it immediately started off on a real good foot for me when they dispatch the evil husband and abandon all the alternate timeline stuff and get to the fun 2020 stuff. You know, they, they go through the the time warp before we even get to the, the title sequence and the rest of the show, just every every little scene, you know, continued to, to be a lot of fun for me. Allison Pill is so fantastic in the second season, and they, they're continuing to feed her some, some great material. Uh, the Borg Queen was a great source of tension on La Serena. I like having her around and her being scary and weird again, like in First Contact. And I think the depiction of the 2020s is a fair reflection of our modern day reality. And, you know, Star Trek, uh, despite being set in the future, has always supposed to have been a show about today's world today's people so i think it's kind of a good idea if they can come back to to modern times from time to time so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing that continue to be explored i i guess if i had to have a a criticism would just be that it all feels like a little safe a little familiar uh, similar to you know things we've seen before in star trek but it was all executed very well and i had fun with how they're doing it here so Dave, what about you? So, uh, you know, I was uh, not really feeling uh, the last week's episode. I didn't really like what seemed to me like kind of second-rate Mirror Universe stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I was happy to get to our present or close to it. And uh, and indeed, once that got rolling, I was I was having a pretty good time there. Um, I liked uh, the stuff with Seven and Raffi uh, on the on the search, and that you know that there was you know sort of a little bit of 
uh, with that and of course Rios, nothing you know wasn't too serious. Uh, that was uh, I thought a fair break from the ominousness uh, that they were shooting for before. And you know, acclimating is always kind of fun. We've seen it in Trek many times, not just time travel episodes, but I don't know, piece of the action and things like that. Uh, you know, I liked the uh, that so that the episode's title, what was it, assimilation, kind of had that conceptual triple play on words. Mm. There was like Borg assimilation. There's the crew trying to assimilate into our 21st century, and then there's the like literal, uh, or there, I mean, not, there's the assimilation of like immigrants into a new culture. Uh, so I thought that was a really cool thematic. Uh, I like when Trek comes to the present and shakes its head at us. <laughs> um, uh, I think that's pretty legit. Uh, the dodgy stuff to me, it tended to be the some of the plot stuff. I still think that the Watcher and that sort of riddle-like nature is kind of weak. Um, it just it, it doesn't feel it, it feels sort of video gamey to me. Uh, like a video game mission and they you know raffi's off the cuff suggestion that they just start looking around for you know modern tech or you know their their modern for them tech was just accepted and everybody's just like all right let's do that uh so that i thought was a little silly but this episode overall went by very quickly for me i I think it was actually literally a little on the shorter side 47 minutes Oh, was it? Of course, you would notice. Um, but uh, but to me, that's good. I, I sometimes feel Discovery overstays its welcome with too many denouement scenes. And so when this uh, ended with uh, Rios being carted off, I was like, I'm ready for that. I want more. And uh, that was uh, that was cool. I like that uh, feeling of ending a Trek episode, chomping at the bit for the next one. Uh, so overall, pretty happy with it. A few minor complaints. Cool. Uh, Joel in our live audience is saying they missed an opportunity to stand on this street and ask everyone where the Watcher was, but... Yeah, then you Chekhov like a, style. Uh, yeah, Chekhov yeah. and Uhura. Uh, Brian, yeah. what was what was your hot take on on this episode? You said, "Oh, it did about what I was expecting it to do," and at the beginning, and that got it off on the on a, on the right foot. And for me, it did a, pretty much about what I was expecting at the beginning, and that got it off on the wrong foot because mm-hmm. I was like, "They're going to have uh, Elnor is going to die, and then he's not going to show up again until they fix history at the very end of the story." And my favorite Picard character is not going to be in this season, and that's exactly what they did. That said, I really did like this episode. It was really good. That that was really the the only ding I have against it. And I get it. They want to kill somebody so that their stakes are high. And Elnor is probably a character who perhaps doesn't offer a lot bumping around in the 21st century. Maybe. I don't know. I think it could still be interesting. I hate to just interrupt for one second, Brian. The one thing I and I think that's a fair call, but I I like if you are probably going to bring a character back. I like that they, we, the door is opened immediately for it, and it doesn't seem like they're going to just be like, surprise, Elnor's back. Like, David must have, <laughs> as much as said, the door is open. So well, I appreciate that at least. I did wonder why they didn't just flat out say the door is open, but I'll, I'll get to that when we break down the episode. Right um, but, uh, and uh, Dave, you mentioned uh, shaking people, the future shaking the head at the past. Um, I like I liked a lot the fact that the, the, the present world we live in is displayed as being hostile, dangerous, dysfunctional, and kind of awful. And it's not some weird alternate timeline where everyone's twisting their mustaches and stroking their eye patches. Uh, it's, it is, in fact, now. And, and whereas they did this with pa- Deep Space Nine's past tense, 
And when they did it there, it was a cautionary tale about where we could end up and how bad things could get. Here we're like, no, this is this is just what it is like. It's just this bad. The 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 so yeah, there's a lot of riffing on Star Trek Four here, but this feels way grimmer and and darker uh, of a world, a more dangerous world for our heroes than the the world in Star Trek Four or really uh, what Assignment Earth or um, Future's End. Uh, tomorrow is yesterday's something, yep. something. Anyway, it's uh, it's uh, more like how the uh, Kelvin versus McCoy described space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The past is filled with assholes and bigots, <laughs> <laughs> wrapped in ra- uh, sexism and racism. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but I like this episode a lot. It tripped along at a great pace. I, I was never bored. I was always interested in every one of the plot lines and every one of the beats. Um, I I was sad when Elnor died, which is clearly what they wanted me to feel. Uh, I'm just sad that I probably won't be feeling much more about that character until the end of the season. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was great. Cool. Well, Aaron, uh, what was your reaction? Yeah. I I really enjoyed, like, a lot of what you were saying, the whole idea of the dichotomy of, like, the, the 21st century. I thought what was, it was really condensed into the one scene when Rafi first shows up and sees this poster for a Europa mission, followed immediately by all of the homeless people underneath it. It's like just that whole that that in just a scene was like okay that's the 21st century. There's optimism combined with hopelessness. So just I I thought that was a really good condensed of the uh, you know this area or where they had landed. Um, but yeah, no, I I really enjoyed it. I of course I live in Los Angeles, so for me it's sort of like I've been there. That's that I know that place. And, you know, so there's a little bit of a weird you know watching that sort of and, and uh, you mentioned the um, looking for the technology for the what are the watcher might be mm-hmm. that is also like uh, voyager's episode uh, the same Future's thing End. yeah where they were looking for a warp signature and, and they found it in santa monica so <laughs> i mean it seemed like pretty standard i don't know i, I just felt like yeah that's what you do you you yeah. scan for weird stuff yeah. uh you know <laughs> is there any weird stuff around here we'll start there i mean we might find some completely unrelated weird stuff but you know where they're else gonna discover have... they're gonna discover tiktoks <laughs> oh no well let's get into the uh the the episode breakdown and um i just want to point out that the first three episodes all end with a big cliffhanger you know last week ended with uh evil husband shooting elnor uh this week ended with the arrest of rios so i'm wondering if that's a tradition how season one of picard always opened with flashbacks maybe season two of picard it's always going to end with a cliffhanger I'm just throwing that out there. We'll we'll see if if that's right. Honestly, they even kind of felt like they started with a cliffhanger too. Mm-hmm. The first episode. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, because they did that uh, in media res. Uh, start your story seventy five percent into it type of thing. Um, also, I love disintegrations in Star Trek, and we get those at the very beginning when <laughs> because because there was a while Why in the nineties. Yeah, he oh, that's a good question. He well, he was shot by uh, evil husband. He might have been like trying to like take prisoners so he could get information. Yeah. The two other fa- uh, phasers were clearly set on disintegrate, though. Where yeah, was... I wasn't sure was that. I know Raffi fired one of them. She didn't fire both, did she, or did she? No, uh, uh, Raffi. Raffi killed husband though. Seven seven yeah. killed the security dudes. Uh, but I like that Raffi was the one. She's like like yeah. no, you're yeah. not going to be married to her. <laughs> <Blasted his laughs> yeah. ass. 
Yeah, it's still uh, still maintaining the relationship angle. <laughs> yeah, I did try to decode because I had the same question. Why is this Why is this one phaser set to kill and not disintegrate? And I couldn't really follow the, the confusion. The action is confusing enough that I could not easily figure out who had who, which gun. And and uh, so I could not verify for sure whether or not, uh, just by watching it, uh, whether or not uh, where, where the president's gun ended up, the one that we know was not. Some of them were using their own guns because they throw their own guns on the floor and then they scoop them back up again so apparently they had their guns set for our heroes had their guns set for dissonance. well those are confederation guns that were yeah that they were using you know so. i was just thinking that um i uh on a just instinctive gut level i do like uh i guess watching uh fascists get disintegrated yeah um but it occurs to me that uh but for the fact that these are our heroes are all self-aware of being out of sync with that world they would also be fascists too <laughs> yeah uh, yes. Q, I guess, gave them their their awareness or whatever. Yeah, I I did like that the president or not the president's husband ends up not being an idiot. I mean, it would have been yeah. easy. He he's smart. He figures out that they're they're when they try to pull one over. They What's they do my the full name. Poly- <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. That's like when Homer Simpson tried to get Mister Burns' mail and they asked for his full name at the, yeah. at the post office and he's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, just just the combination of things here, it's like, oh, well, like, here's Q. Here's the Borg Queen. They're going around the sun, like in Star Trek Four. Here's some legacy starships that aren't just, like, the copy-paste fleet from the end of Season 1. It was just, like, uh, uh, using a lot of that familiar stuff in a good way, using it, not not building your story on the familiar stuff, but just using that to enhance the story that you are telling. And so that uh, that's more of, like, what I was saying about getting the episode, you know, started on a good foot for me. Uh, sorry, Brian, like, I, I had already come to terms with the fact that Eleanor was going to die pretty early in the season. So uh, I, I had already kind of made peace with that. I, I tried all week because I knew it was coming, but you know, I just, yeah. I think also that like all using those callbacks and stuff is probably what made it not feel like it made it feel safe, I guess, in some ways, just that not yeah. taking chances. Cause it did go pretty much how I expected it to go. That didn't mean I didn't like it, but it was like, okay, there was no real, well, wow, I didn't expect that turn. You know, I was like, so. Yeah, and the trailers gave, you know, some of this away. Um, but, you know, if yeah, the, the trailers have to show stuff, I want it to be things in the first three episodes because I don't know too much. I mean, there's like a few shots of Picard walking around in modern day LA and uh, characters driving a, a, a police car or something. But other than that, I, I have no idea what's going to happen um, next in the show. I, I did notice they, they had a missed opportunity when they could have had uh picard or someone on la serena during the time warp start hearing dialogue from later in the episode yes. like in star trek 4 i was hoping uh, yeah but <laughs> we're just talking about how i don't want to know what's coming so they i guess they uh <laughs> they avoided any spoilers with that and i assume they crash at the the picard chateau in in la bar france they never flat out state that but Picard says he's taking them home, and apparently it's not in use in the 21st century. <laughs> Whenever they beam back and forth from the ship to LA, you know it cha- it changes from nighttime to daytime. So they're they're somewhere not in North America. I, I assume that he just crashed them in his backyard. They didn't seem too concerned about uh, getting spotted. That with what well, with no uh, remember where we parked uh, cloaking device. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did he like know that there was nobody there at this time period or something? Like it feels like there's. It's not yeah. being working, or it's not uh, functional. There, there's there's Chateau talk coming up, because we know he's going to be talking about whatever weird thing is going on with his mom, and maybe more about like the oh, history right. of that place. So I think that will be explained. Just weird that they, yeah. they didn't mention it here. But I, yeah, maybe he'll yeah. be like, oh, this is why there is like, a big crater next to the house all my life that no one knew where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> the ship was crashed here. 
I, I did like the gent uh, the the riffing on Star Trek Four as far as how they do the time jump, um, and and even the, I mean, they didn't paint the bridge white, but you know, they, they there there was that that there was echoes of that idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, no giant um, CGI I, heads, but. <laughs> maybe next time they're gonna time warp though. again they, they guys still gotta get back so maybe then i mean they don't technically have to get back all they have to do is fix history and yeah. if they all die they're they're, they're i mean uh, the, i guess the, the the counterpoint is all of them are gonna die at wherever when they the when the stargazer self-destructs in the future so mm. maybe that would be a reason to want to go home is so that some version of themselves survive that incident um, or maybe you want to go home and arrive a little early, a la Back to the Future, and try to warn them to, to you know, do this instead of that in, when they when they encounter the anomaly. So you know, I suppose there's that. But you know, if they hadn't all been about to die when the time warp happened, they could pretty safely say, you know, we can die doing this mission, and another version of us. Well, they will, they can't die during the mission because Paramount Plus ordered a third season of the show, so they they'd be like, oh no, we're contractually obligated to do ten more episodes. We can't die. You could just be on Earth. It'll be like cheaper to make. You know? oh, yeah, Earth Track. <laughs> That's what people thought about the first three episodes of season one. So, uh, yeah, save on the budget. I laughed my ass off when the board queen fell over. Yeah, that was kind <laughs> that of was awkward like... looking. Um, but then oh, when that she's was amazing. but immediately after it. that, when she's crawling around all scary, and you you see Gerardi yeah. freaking out, and I just thought that it was a little weird how like poetic the board queen got when she's like move backwards to go forwards, shattered yeah. amid the past is now. Uh-huh. It's like, like okay, I get it. But but later, the I really loved what they did with the queen later after she kind of you know she's in the stable timeline. It's not her mind is not all broken anymore. You like when so. she got more uh, traditionally more traditional guile. Yeah, and and was was scary again. I liked when they were crashing. Like you know, we can't crash the spaceship into the most populated city in the of the time period. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. But if you're Voyager, you can fly by and hope oh, nobody notices it. If it's the JJ universe, you totally can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those people were in the present times of the JJ universe. They knew what they were getting you into. You could you could actually <laughs> fly your ship into the middle of LA right now, and no one would care. No one would believe it. People would be like, "That's not a real spaceship. That's a hoax." Oh, that's true. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, there's a lot you could get away Fake with. Fake news. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> they they don't spend a lot of time. I'm weighing the options here. Everything is very fast paced. I think I said last week Picard is moving with a, a purposeful pace. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to say that as long as it applies because I, I like that. But they they do have one of those moral quandaries where what do we do? We have to keep the queen alive in order to to find the watcher, and if we're ever gonna time warp again. Uh, so I guess we're gonna not cut her out of the ship and and let Elnor die with no power on the bio bed. I, I had to admit I was kind of on the other. The kill the queen side because I was like you have some clues you have some information you can probably there's a good chance you can figure this out with what you've got you don't necessarily need her and you don't need to go home on this particular mission you're not delivering the whales if you all live out your life in the past that's fine you will have fixed history and another version of you will not go back in time and will continue to exist so I was like I can kind of see how maybe we should just shoot the queen (laughs) here's a quick question Quick question. Do they have to? Is, is that the only option? Uh, can they just not, like, lock her up in a jail? <laughs> you know, keep her from power, essentially. Is, would that not be an option? And then plug her in? Yeah. I mean, they given time, yes. Yeah. But she's actively causing problems in this I guess so, yeah. And, and killing Elnor in this instance. So, you know. But I thought he had a good uh, a good last words when uh, he was talking about his, his medallion. Now is the only moment, the translation on it. Uh, 
that's as good as anything else you, you can say when you <laughs> when, when you that actor and... you know he, he didn't get too many scenes but he did a really good job conveying the emotion and making it making me feel it uh i think that uh, the notion of this this really powerful warrior that he is uh, actually kind of achieving a sort of calm and not, you know, he actually wasn't quite, he was clearly in pain. He wasn't, you know, afraid to show that, but uh, but he kind of did his, hey, I know something that may bring me some peace. Can you please do this? Uh, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And the idea that he he was still a badass in this terrible timeline where he was he was oppressed by the the confederation and and hunted or imprisoned or whatever he still earned the the co-op malat medallion so he, he that's that's what he says like you know it it pleases me to know i was still uh kicking ass and taking names in this timeline as well as the other yeah i i want to get one of those medallions and i've already figured out where it's showing up in my role-playing game but <laughs> so. yeah well I'm, I'm sure they will be available on um uh fan sets is fan probably sets. working on one right now parenthesis i and our live audience says, I'm hoping that the Borg Queen eventually is accepted as a kind of brilliant and useful, yet still weird and misfit member of the crew. She's going to be a hard one to forgive. I guess if you could do it with Emperor Giorgio, you can do it with, with anybody. But you know, the Borg Queen redemption would be a, a tricky needle to thread. I was kind of on that front of maybe we need to give her a chance. She has a vested interest in safe, fixing history as well. And that for now she might be work, you know, an alliance might be workable, but then she tried to assimilate Jurati and I was like, I don't fuck this thing. Yeah. <laughs> this is more trouble than it's worth. As Q, you know, was using all of the, the uh, episode titles, like anybody's like, hello, Scorpion part one and two. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also get some tension and some sparks between Raffi and Picard uh, with, you know, her blaming him for the, the death of, of Elnor. And if, if you remember the end of season one, when Picard dies, Raffi's the one comforting Elnor. And I guess, you know, she's missing her son. She She's messed up the relationship with her son. So Elnor's kind of become her surrogate son, right? She's taken him under her wing at the Academy. And, and you know, because they set that up way back in episode one, we can buy into the, the weight of of her moments here. I thought it was a little weird that Picard didn't have a more emotional reaction and I didn't expect him to like break down. Picard is somewhat notoriously cold at times, but yeah. I, I thought we'd see a little bit more of a reaction from him. Not, not, not exactly like hers, just something yeah, like, more. Like he would go do it in private yeah. or something. Exactly. But he, he he's yeah. lost people under his command before. And I, I, I mean, I doubt that it's, you know, a picnic for him to, to go. It happens. It again, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, well, and some of the subplot of this, season seems to be Picard has is has a bunch of stuff he's keeping repressed so we're gonna have a slightly more repressed Picard I think in the front half of this season. it does so thematically that... fit in with the notion mm. that he's he has not come to terms with that uh and, yeah. and that's clearly going to be part of an arc yeah <laughs> I did as I kind of mentioned the or Girardi says it's impossible to determine if El uh, determine whether Elnor will come back if they fix time yeah and it I was like Every other time they've done this mm -mm. in Star Trek. Nope, nope. Yesterday's <laughs> Enterprise. There. Yesterday's Enterprise. They erased that alternate timeline, but the alternate Yar continued to exist somehow. So yeah, but it didn't delete the original Yar. Right, but I'm saying like like Elnor's death is circumstances of that alternate timeline. So there's a precedent yeah. for the alternate timeline circumstances to remain after it's been corrected. Oh, and well, plus, plus yeah, Q I mean, is, is fudging around, you know, giving them like their memories yeah. and stuff back. So you can't be certain. I agree with Gerardi when she's like, there's no way we can be 100% certain. Well, no, you can be 100%, but you could be a lot more certain than she, she was saying. What I would have done is is had Rafi say, well, wait a minute. If we fix history, he comes back to life, right? Because he'll never have come back in time and he'll never have got been in that other universe and he never will have gotten shot. And then Girardi says, yeah, then he's on board the, your, uh, the Excelsior and gets blown up when the Borg thing happens. And they're all like, oh, he's dead either way. 
bum bum and then we move on with the story and i think that would have been like i don't know a little more of an intelligent answer to things that had a nice little switcheroo yeah somebody mentioned in the uh the chat that it's like it's clear that it, the death actually doesn't matter because it was shown in the trailer <laughs> so it's like <laughs> they wouldn't have done that if it was going to be a surprise yeah. or no, I, don't, I don't think it'll stick but i also i don't know how yeah. much eleanor we're going to get in the remaining uh, season of P P Picard, or even how much we're going to get of him in season three. I'm just basing that on the fact that uh, Evan Avagora and Issa Briones both went to Star Trek Las Vegas in August. They were both on the, the cruise a couple weeks ago. It's like everyone else seemed to be really busy shooting a, a bunch of season three stuff, except for the two of them. So I don't know. Should we talk about, I guess, the, the away mission, how they're, they have a shitty transporter, so they have to beam into three different locations, which I thought was like a good contrivance. It kind of made sense. I thought it was a little odd that they, Seven, who's kind of an expert on all things Borg, didn't stay to help deal with the Borg queen. Um, I guess it's because she really, really cares about Rafi and wants to be with Rafi. I think is, she wants to be with Rafi cannon. and wants to be away from the queen. She's got a lot of, uh, yeah. a lot of history with the queen and, and is... So does Picard. So does Picard, yeah. <laughs> It seems like he's the, in the moment, he's the stabilizing influence and she is not able to hold back her emotion as well as he does. So she may, yeah. she may recognize yeah. that and, and, and is like, I, I need to step away. I, I also thought it was weird that they had the no phasers rule, which every other time they've been LARPing about in the past, they take the phasers. That's, that's, there's never been a case where they voluntarily left the phasers behind. I guess they're, maybe they're trying to be a little bit more realistic this point, uh, this time that like, yeah, take, hauling around a weapon uh, of that level of power is like a particularly bad yeah. idea. That, uh, that homeless dude who, that, that guy who, who vaporized himself in City on the Edge of Forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> that always made me laugh as a kid. I don't think, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it was intended to be as yeah, funny I, as I, as I found it as a, as a youngster, but yeah, they, they don't want a repeat of that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they no. could have at least said, uh, "We all we have are these huge pistols. We're in this evil universe ship. They don't have the little yeah. crickets or something to kind of gesture towards why it's different. Or these don't have stun. They're only kill or something oh, like that. That and that would be, oh, well, we can't risk killing anybody. We have to leave these behind. Right. You know, I, I yeah. would have been, okay, that's why I figured that Rafi doesn't keep the gun that she gets. I was like, why isn't Rafi keeping the gun? And she's like, eh, probably figures she shouldn't be killing people in the past. You know... And uh, another thing. <laughs> another thing that they could have brought up, Picard could have brought up. I don't. I don't to me, it's a, it's a fine contrivance. Like it makes it does make sense to not bring them along. Uh, although it probably makes sense to not bring any tech along. But if Picard had said, "Hey, we know Q is doing one of his damn testing things. Don't take the weapons. Let's try and put on a mm. good front." Uh, I yeah, that would have been. That I I think you would have had to set that up a bit with how what Q says to Picard in episode two. But yes, yes, right. I, I would have liked that. That would have been a cool reason to leave the guns behind. Basically, there was many, many uh, chances to have fixed that in dialogue. <laughs> Linda Marks in our live audience, she's commenting on the girl who asked Seven, are you a superhero? And she saw her materialize in front of her. Yeah. With with as many like Marvel and DC movies as they pump out now, that is exactly what a child in the 2020s would associate. that A display of something otherworldly like that. They wouldn't be like, are mm -hmm. you an angel or are you magic? They'd be like, are you a superhero? <laughs> yeah. I really I really like that scene. They're like, I liked seeing yeah. Seven get the... What, as you will note later, sort of positive reactions by some yeah. people and her throwing – I think she throws the kid a wink, right? Like yeah. you're in on the yeah. secret. That was cool. Yeah, and her, her like yeah. not having the, the Borg implants on her face. And throughout this episode, she kind of comes off as – I mean I'm not like by any stripe a marginalized person at all. But it's – to me it read as 
someone who is kind of like in a minority community and then like all of a sudden they're like oh my god i have like white privilege now and it's it's uh <laughs> it's so much nicer when everyone is is not prejudiced against you i'm looking forward to seeing seven talk about that and i hope they make time to talk about it later because you know it's one thing to kind of like intellectually say like yes i may have these borg uh implants and and they don't I, you know, they don't affect who I am. I, I, that's not how I have to conceive myself as being connected to that past. But on some level, uh, she, you know, it is still a visual reminder. And now, it, you know, now that she's sort of free of it, she is experiencing something different. And I think that'd be cool to comment on. Yeah, it's a kind and of a nuanced thing. I do want her to be reborgified when everything's all said and done. I guess that's kind of mean to to say about the character because she seems to be enjoying life with without that baggage. <laughs> she in twenty twenty four should get a room. I think what should yes. happen is she has to allow the queen to reassimilate her to do battle with the queen or something, Ooh. and she has to embrace it before this end of the season, rather than just, oh, history's been fixed, and now I have the implants again. But I'm evil that way. Where she beamed in uh, with the kid is like, across the street from where I used to live. It's a Pan Pacific Park, I think. Oh. That is pretty cool. Cool. Oh, nice. I did think the the, the idea that the, the transporter would scatter you uncontrollably to three different locations, but yet still manage to make sure that all the atoms are right next to each other in your brain so that your brain still works. No, they said Feels... what it was. It was the axial, uh, like they couldn't do the uh, account for the rotation of the earth, the axial yeah, but, rotation. Yeah. But, but then the molecule, you couldn't keep, if you couldn't keep the people standing next to each other, you couldn't keep the molecules in your brain arriving next to each mm, other. Yeah. Maybe so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a little silly. I'll let it go because it was fun. But I think Gerardi just uh, wanted to uh, give a little uh, lesson to her ex. <laughs> Is that, oh that's God. why that's why Rios busted his, his head open. And she yeah, does, she is really rough on her boyfriend. She was like, true. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's not getting it as bad as Bruce Maddox. I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh boy. I did like it so that you can't take that with you because you'll lose it. It's like you're the you're the boy who has to have a string around his mittens. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was great. I mean, this this dude's a Starfleet captain. Like I think he's a, I think yeah. you're not giving him enough credit, yo. Let's talk about the uh, the clinic stuff. Rios at the clinic and uh, Doctor Teresa uh, again. You know, it felt familiar. She's very like Edith Killer or what was Sarah Silverman's character? Rain Rain Robinson, I think. Rain Robinson or Doctor Jillian Taylor in Star Trek Taylor. Four. But yes, it's like that that notion of. If you go back in time in Star Trek, you have to have a. You, there has to be like this this cute love interest. I guess so. You have like the temptation of like I could stay here and mess up the timeline or whatever. But I like mm -hmm. her. I like I like Doctor Teresa and her her kid um, Ricardo. Yeah, no, I did too. Fun. Every every once in a while, I felt like their kind of that sort of meet cute thing that was going on felt a little bit. Uh, writerly, like like I could kind of feel the script pushing at it a little bit, but but I liked I liked the sequence because yes, it is it is something that I've seen Trek do, and it's 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 not that was not like some grave sin to be a little bit writerly uh, in, in that moment. I, I liked um I liked him interacting with with someone on that level, uh, just that someone who's immediately uh, part of like a marginalized Earth community, and uh, the fact that the the actor has the uh, Latin heritage, I, I think. That that gives yeah. an interesting in there. Yeah, and to hear people like speak like modern day Earth Spanish to each other very casually like that. Like we've never really heard like conversations in Spanish in Star Trek before, which is uh, it's kind of unusual. I mean, like where I live, I could walk down to the end of my street, and by the time I, I got to the the next block, I would hear a bunch of conversations in Spanish just uh, on the sidewalk, people hanging out in their yards and stuff. Yeah, it it made things feel like more like they are like more present in the real world, I guess, and and more grounded in a way that they hadn't shown in previous time travel 
stories in Star Trek. Yeah, it occurs to me, I'm thinking, uh, what was the one in Deep Space Nine with the uh, Bell Riots? What past Tense. In Past Tense, if I'm not mistaken, they interacted occasionally as like a pair, Cisco uh, and Bashir, with, with people. Mm -hmm. But it, it was rare to have like some just one-to-one -one extended conversation with somebody. Um, uh, so, I, so I liked this yeah. as... Um, yeah, this is more like Kirk's that. time travel, or I guess Tom Paris and Sarah Silverman, they had some time together, but yeah, Kirk would like always go on a date when he went back in time. He went on a date with <laughs> yeah. Edith Keeler, he went, he went and had pizza with uh, Dr. Taylor, so. If you read uh, the phase two script that was like, I think it was the first episode oh, past Pearl their, Harbor their two hour movie. Yeah, Pearl Harbor Lady, yeah. In my head, I always saw as, as the actress who played Agent Carter for some reason, I don't know why, but. Like, but yeah, yeah. Phase Phase Two would have had uh, had Kirk go on a date in the in the forties, like right before Pearl Harbor was going to happen. He's going to have a uh, his uh, OK Cupid profile or whatever the various dating apps would uh, have very specific requests. Uh, prefer time travelers or prefer all different century women. I, I did. I found it amusing that uh, Rios turns out to be the last Starfighter. Oh yeah, he was. Uh, what are you he talking was, about? A, a kid whiz at the oh yeah the simulator game. <laughs> He had yeah. told oh, that yeah. story the before. Game, it does so well that all the adults come out and say, "Oh my goodness, you're the next protege, <laughs> you're the next uh, genius." You, you could tell that he had he had told that story before, like the way that he was like, "I thought I broke something. Turns out I did. It was the record." It's like, okay, yeah, you're uh, <laughs> yeah. You, you've gone through this story with people before. Why would you not tell that story? <laughs> no, I would tell that yeah. story every every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doctor <laughs> Teresa is working on my hand or something. I'd yeah, I'd totally be telling her how how cool I was. Also, I, I loved the detail of Rios having like real peanut butter in 21st century and thinking it's like super delicious, which is probably such an unhealthy food. They probably don't have anything close to that in, in his time. I so. doubt that. That seems weird. I don't know. That bothered me. <laughs> like, is, is replicated peanut butter going to be that radically different from like regular peanut butter? If it is, Yeah, I guess I, I kind of thought by the sort of slightly more luxurious TNG times that yeah. um, that they were they probably had gotten it down pretty solid. I I tended to assume that they're that he's one of those replicator snobs who, who like, oh, real food is better than replicated <laughs> yeah. food. And that, that combined with. The fact that maybe they're just really good cookies. I mean, you you can you find peanut cookies, peanut True. butter or whatever, and you're like, oh my god, this is so much better than most of the cookies I've eaten. This is an amazing cookie. Also, he's trying to chat up the kid. So how much of that is just chatting up the kid to get the kid to trade the badge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, at, at a certain point, I was like, oh, this guy is hyping up these cookies as a bargaining chip. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, I just assume that homemade food always tastes better than replicated food because that's why we have like Cisco's Creole Kitchen and stuff like that. Depends on who cooks it. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, uh, Riker did not make very good breakfast that one time, but apparently O'Brien's mom was a good cook. So, uh, Also, Rick and Morty exist in the uh, Star Trek universe, so that means that Mike McMahon is a Star Trek character because he was a writer-producer <laughs> on that show. I was talking with Mike, and I said, this is as close as we'll get to having Lower Decks in Star Trek. <laughs> it's like That would be like what they were trying to say, basically. Go watch Lower Decks. <laughs> <laughs> wheels within wheels. There's another butterfly on the refrigerator right now. Yeah, so so there's a lot of butterfly imagery that I didn't I didn't notice until you pointed that out to me, Aaron. But yeah, we see a butterfly here. This clinic is actually called uh, uh, Clinica Las Mariposas. Mariposas, I think is, is how you say it. But butter butterflies. It's called the 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 butterfly clinic in Spanish. I did not notice that. These these are all just butterfly effect. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by being here, he pretty explicitly screwed up history somehow. There's there's more to that, too. I have something. I, I'm saving it for the Gorn eggs when I get into all the Easter eggs and jokes and continuity connections. But it's something else Aaron showed me that I think is going to be uh, really fun to, to talk about. Do we? Should yeah. We... I, my, my assumption wouldn't necessarily be that, like, the butterfly is there to indicate he did screw up something, but more just to, as a visual reminder of the potential for it, I guess. Yeah. Well, we should talk about T- Terry Madalus, the the showrunner of the season. He is a huge time travel fanatic. He was the showrunner on the Twelve Monkeys show. He is obsessed with Back to the Future. That's why Back to the Future di- uh, actors directing this episode. I think he even has like a, a DeLorean. So he's very much a man after my own heart because I grew up on the Back to the Future movies. I love that car. I love time travel. I love the timey wimey stuff in Star Trek. Uh, but yeah, I think he's just like having fun with the the whole notion of of the the butterfly clinic stepping on butterflies, whatever, and. Um, I'm not at all surprised. Uh, the more I've learned about him as as a as a creative, I'm not at all surprised that we're doing a a lot of Star Trek four tribute stuff here. And, and but you know, I, I I talk about that a lot on the show. How much I love time travel in Star Trek. So is the butterfly effect? Uh, that that wasn't like that didn't originate with the Ray Bradbury Sound of Thunder, did it? Because somebody steps on like a butterfly in prehistoric yeah. times. No, that's and alternates. The, it was it was Plato or Socrates or one of the, what was the it? ancient yeah. Greeks. Yeah, he he said a uh, the flapping of a butterfly wings on one side of the world could eventually like lead to a hurricane on the other like any small was he doing it in reference to time travel no but that's what the bradbury (laughs) thing did right so he bradbury literalized it in his story yeah the term butterfly effect was coined by meteorologist edward lorenz uh, who discovered in the 1960s that tiny butterfly uh scale uh could change computer uh weather models and so it was from sunny skies to storms so that's it was part of the weather effect so somebody must have Ray Bradbury must have seen that phrase and then either borrowed it, it or, or something. Yeah, I suppose it could be independent thinking, like like Bradbury just uh, happened to have, like, because I'm not even 100% sure it was a butterfly. It could have just been an insect that guy steps on in it. But anyway, for, for side research, to, something to pursue later. Yes. I think it was a butterfly in the in Sound of Thunder. Just as a quick aside, I did want to just mention what what uh, Rafi said, and I guess we're maybe we're about to get there. But her line uh, about uh, she said, "I've never been able to understand how a society can exist with so many contradictions and not collapse sooner than it did." Uh, harsh pronouncement on us from <laughs> from the 25th century. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes Star Trek more believable because I was actually talking about that last week. Not to not to be a, a downer, but yeah, sometimes I have a hard time imagining how society can continue through the 21st century. But like according to Star Trek, it doesn't. It's going to completely go to shit. In a, in a few decades, and then we have to rebuild from that. So hopefully, we rise from the ashes like the phoenix. Uh, well, guess we'll find out. But y'all want to talk about like I guess the the immigration raid and sure. the, is this too heavy handed in y'all's opinion, or does it uh does it come off well in your eyes? Uh, I thought it, it it like almost walked up to that line, but I in the end, it did, I was when I'm watching it, I'm like, does this feel like something that could happen? Yeah, still oh, yeah. does. Yeah, no, this totally happens, like, all the time. My feeling was, compared to the previous weird place that they were visiting in the previous episode, this feels subtle and calm. (laughs) (laughs) This is nowhere near as over-the-top as that previous alternate timeline was. So I like kind of having just the the handful of lines from the... immigration agent be like you know kind of belligerent and very clearly kind of provocative uh you know i'm like oh you know are they are they not being sort of nuanced enough are they are they trying to are they dehumanizing him you know and doing that but again i was like this yeah this is the kind of thing that clearly has happened it's a summation of a concept that happens all the time so yeah i i i didn't find any fault with it where was rios bleeding from we see the pool of blood after he falls off the building and then I don't see any bandages on him when he's here. So I like his lip, maybe. I think he busted his lip, probably like inside of his mouth or something. 
He bit his I mean, tongue or bit his lip. He was spreading he pretty fast. That was I think he hit his blood. Serious... He hit a blood squib. <laughs> I think that was attached to him by an FX team. And that's why they watched it. What? There's nothing wrong with him. He's just got a squib in his clothes. Well, go watch the clothes. That'll fix him. <laughs> his weird that clothes. Was, yeah, that was a squib that was given to him by his grandfather, though, so it was very meaningful. <laughs> like that he was like trying to help her at the end like he was like oh you know uh screw it i'm gonna, I'm gonna be the hero i'm gonna try to help out i like that yeah he immediately he immediately uh got on board oh. the the deal he immediately went into protective mode i liked it there was one thing that just sort of stuck out to me is that you know like don't get scanned because anything they will find an id implants or vaccination chips from a future that doesn't exist like but you're from the confederation future your body is at least so would you actually have those chips even? You know, it's like, who knows what they have? Yeah, the Confederation version. Because she doesn't have her Borg implant, so yeah. you wouldn't yeah. think I would, I would. I mean, I would nominally guess that as a sort of a, as a fascist society, they'd have more tracking stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> True, you're right. Do uh, Should we assume from the, uh, the hand sanitizer all over the place that COVID <laughs> did happen in Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, in 2024, it's still uh, having it having an I impact. Didn't notice anyone wearing masks, but I wasn't really looking for no, it. No, but I saw that everywhere. There's like hand sanitizer stations, which, to be fair, they do that in clinics and stuff. But yeah. that it, it did seem like that will probably stay. To, That's probably going to yeah. stick around. I think we've we've all gotten better at washing our hands, and I think that'll probably uh, I think that might have like a little bit of permanence. I guess we'll find out in the years to come. Um, anything else on Rios in the clinic before we talk about the uh, the Borg Queen back on the ship? Nope. Let's do it. Okay. So uh, yeah, we have. Picard and Gerardi versus the Borg Queen, and uh, what what stood out to me in this stuff is we get like a little bit of of lore, a, a little bit of exploration of of Borg stuff they haven't stated previously. Kind of in the same vein of how season one of Picard was really good at fleshing out a lot of Romulan culture, and what season one of Discovery I think tried to do with the Klingons but might have misstepped. Um, it's not not completely taken over the the show like the Romulan stuff did in season one, but I think that'd be cool if we could get you know more little Borg tidbits like just Picard describing you know being in the collective and feeling euphoric even though he had no sense of himself. Like it's almost like hard to you know pull yourself out of or just the the, the queen herself really being like the scary first contact queen, which I, I'm not sure if she ever quite lived up to on on Voyager, but I definitely liked her presentation here. And then I guess uh, Agnes is both defeat of the queen but how scary it is now she's impressed the queen so that normally i think would make you a target for assimilation uh, i feel like Gerardi's kind of uh she's been kind of publicly psychoanalyzed by the queen in a, a few different occasions uh I, I i kind of feel for her i would feel very vulnerable if somebody's kind of calling out my you know emotional and you know weaknesses or whatever right in front of everybody <laughs> uh so it was nice to see her by the way get a win on that too <laughs> to kind of flip the flip the table a bit roddenberry often criticize the, oh, there shouldn't be friction between our heroes idea because they're all well-balanced people and they keep a counselor on the bridge and stuff. I will say Gerardi, you know, is like, all right, you're going to be seeing my unconscious. It's going to be weird. Apologies. But she doesn't get hung up on, oh no, I can't show Picard my, my subconscious that, that, that isn't like a, you know, it's, it's awkward, but it's not like (laughs) dehabilitatingly awkward, which I think Roddenberry would have at least, well, he probably would have been thrown fits about a lot of new Trek. I think that particular moment he would have actually been a fruit, you know, if he settled down and paid attention, he would be, Hmm. he would be like, oh yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah. He he wouldn't react like he did 
Star Trek six when he yelled at Nicholas Meyer on the phone. And <laughs> yeah, I, I liked all of this. I like anything that gets into people's subconscious and unconscious and, and externalizes it on screen. That's always something that fascinates me. Uh, and so I, I love this whole sequence yeah. with Gerardi and Picard and the board. Yeah, some of it was really well written, like her dialogue about just kind of the base subconscious description of like these emotions like the sadness stuff was so dark and unsettling when she's like i, I just want to, to give in and sleep myself to death i'm like oh my god that's so so yeah, dark and it, she, yeah she killed maddox that's gotta be leaving <laughs> right. some scar tissue no she was she was clearly <laughs> suicidal in season one when she uh put her her life at risk to to protect the rest of the crew and and stop the viridium tracker that was inside of her when she poisoned herself or um in in came very I, I think she was like prepared to die in that scene so yeah it was and, and allison pill is just uh really good at just running the gauntlet of all those emotions like that so it's very much kind of a, a just a, a master class in her uh you just you know on-screen presence acting just you know her expressions and everything there's something about the the way it kind of played out that felt a little gimmicky to me but at the same time i i, I can't like pin my hand on, on on what it was because i feel like using that kind of you know the sort of partial assimilation as a method to psychoanalyze her i think that's that's good storytelling it's a nice concise way to do what you want to do and get inside her head and also reveal more yeah. about the borg queen uh but yeah there's something maybe it's because she, like she like tilly both has a, a, a sort of kind of heightened kind of borderline campy personality at time and 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 it, it felt a little goofy to me i i, I remember I, I was a little annoyed at Tilly sometimes too early on. I came to really like Tilly. This felt a little bit like an improv uh, exercise in some ways. Like, mm. Okay, happy, now sad, now you know, <laughs> moving between those things. And she has that kind of patter to it. It was kind of it was interesting. Well, she had an improv exercise last week when she had to come up with a cover story for uh, for Evil Husband. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's why they got that was busted. Great. That's why they got busted. <laughs> I really laughed hard at the file name being "shit I stole from the Borg Queen." <laughs> that that was great. You know what? That that's that's just... what I would name it. I like. I if you look at my computer, I have files <laughs> named stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, what's, what's the like most obvious thing you would think of to associate with this? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it thumbs its nose at the pretentiousness of Star Trek and so, so beautifully, I, I, which yeah. I do think sometimes Star Trek takes itself too seriously. And I really love when somebody just comes along and takes the piss out of the whole thing a little bit by naming a computer file shit I stole from the Borg Queen. And it was fun to see her get that victory because I kind of feel sorry for Girardi after what season one had, had done to her. She's been through a lot. Did the yeah. did the Borg Queen, did she... She complimented her in some way. She said something like, um, "You've that's you've impressed me" or something yeah. like that. Yeah, something. Yeah. Do you she think that that creepy, was? But yes, it was a compliment. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out whether it was a real compliment or an attempt to manipulate the person who she sees as kind of like emotionally manipul manipulable. I think it was a complete threat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I'll be watching you. I mean, she didn't just Definitely. copy the information out of the Borg Queen's brain. She apparently literally stole it, i.e. Yeah. the Borg yeah. Queen no longer had the information. I was like, wow. Some that would be impressive, I think, uh, yeah, yeah, to her. Now that Which is we dangerous. Have, um, <laughs> now that we have the coordinates of the Watcher, and uh, also with, with Seven and Gerardi tracking tracking the Watcher down, I think that next week it's probably not going to be like a whole episode of just rescuing rios i think we're going to actually find the watcher by the end of next week's episode given the the fast-paced nature of these first three episodes i hope so i don't think that there's a need to keep it as a big mystery because i honestly i still think it's a, a kind of a weak plot point yeah. so I'd, I'd just as soon get to that and, and and see what they can do with it 
Is it going to be Cosmo from that what non sequitur oh, yeah. Voyager episode? <laughs> uh, could no, be. I think he was only there because he made a mistake. Like he <laughs> he screwed up that whatever happened with Harry and like sent him back. I mean, I've seen uh, what what in the comments that somebody threw out that is like, oh, it's Data's head, or like, <laughs> you know, I, I Gary was, Seven. Gary Seven. I was talking about that last week. Um, well, people say Guinan, but Guinan's a listener, not a watcher. There was a number associated, right? Like Watcher 15 or something that we got yeah, this week? Yeah, there's 15 or something. No, that was so part that, of the that made me... Oh, okay. That, 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 was that like makes the first... sense. That was... I wondered if that was no, an indication not, no, it could not. be part of the... No, it just said 15. Yeah, because okay. the, the coordinates are 34.044 north well, minus 118.25118 west, which is actually Pershing Square, which is right next to... Downtown Los Angeles. That's, that's near the, the park, right? MacArthur Park. Uh, Pershing Square is literally like it's like uh, the equivalent of uh, what is it Central Park but like way 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 smaller okay. <laughs> uh, so it's like it's near all the skyscrapers and everything so it's in downtown it's not that far from from MacArthur Park well speaking of uh, skyscrapers we should uh, transition over to the Raffi and Seven date. LA adventure you can call it a date yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their date their, their, their uh, date in downtown Los Angeles at a probably a sanctuary district that's no longer uh secured is what we were talking about before the show started we were speculating that that's what's going on here which if it's set in late september or later than that you know i think that that makes sense like after the riots Mm. yeah yeah la might have been one of the first places to get rid of it i have to admit putting a big thing about we're exploring europa up in the sanctuary district seems like the ultimate dick move that is that is the most (laughs) like modern day american thing i've ever seen in my life like yeah i I thought that was a great great to latch onto that era is like just a, a really fantastic, uh, super concise visual summation. Yeah, and I'm imagining that not to be like a SpaceX sort of thing because NASA would never make advertisements. So it's yeah, right, like that. yeah. right. That's that's Chronoworks what it is my head cannon. Chronoworks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Industries is somehow they taken the X from Chronoworks and made it like SpaceX. So, so Aaron, if you're walking around in broad daylight, middle of Los Angeles, people are just gonna like run up to you with a Glock and try to mug you, right? Like, like what happened uh, here? No. <laughs> I, I guess mugging can happen, yes, and there can be shootings, but not. Uh, this feels very uh, a theatrical, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, it is, uh, I guess, 2024, uh, and, uh, and you know, there's meant to be a little bit more decline, maybe. Yeah, and if you've had bell rides and stuff, like, there are places that I would, like, not just necessarily walk around and. Feel Aaron, give the world a chance to fail more. We, we can okay. still. We can do worse. We can do worse. <laughs> okay. We have to build the future. Star Trek has shown us. We've got two years to get to that level of mugging. <laughs> we have to make. Uh, we have our computers have to become CRTs again. We have to have like a pen instead of a touchscreen. Have like, a, have Celsius. They're using Celsius in oh, yeah. the past tense mm-hmm. instead of Fahrenheit. So we're going to convert to that in the next two years. Wow. I like that, uh, Raffi. Uh, didn't really consider this dude a threat at all and like whooped up on him uh i, I was not quite sure how she learned how to how to strip a gun down that quick uh that was like a modern slug thrower type gun holodeck it, it looked cool yeah sure holodeck like, oh money right okay yeah no, <laughs> that was great. no, no. yeah i'm not doing that <laughs> the, the building the uh, the mark ridge industrial tower which i'm told mark ridge is something from 12 monkeys i've never i watched the bruce willis movie a long oh. time ago i've never seen the show that terry metallis did but the the actual building that they they say is the tallest building in in LA is that is that a real skyscraper or did they just see it is a, yeah that? it's a real sky no no it is a real skyscraper it was finished like in 2018 or something like that 2017 okay. and I think it's a hotel I think it's it's owned by Hilton or something like that or I can't remember if that's like a 
an airline symbol at the top for something like. I thought, it buy, like I thought it was like space. Pepsi. I thought it was like Pepsi Cola. The first time I watched. Pepsi. Yeah, it does sort of look like that, but no, that's not Pepsi. I don't remember off the top of my head. I should have looked that up before I got uh, hopped on. Sorry, but yeah, I don't know if there's an observation deck at the top. Uh, it probably is, but I imagine. Much like in the show, it's not accessible to the average yeah. person. If it's the tallest in the city, then I'm sure that they put one up there. But yeah, it's not going to be yeah. open to the public. You have to go through the security guard. And I I thought that scene was really, you know, speaking of like an improv exercise, but yeah just, yeah, just them being like, you're not as good as Kevin, right? And this guy's like, oh, fuck <laughs> Kevin. I'm way more fun than he is. <laughs> you know, um, this is this is a good example of like, um, I, I, I thought that like uh, Gerardi's lies in the last one were, were kind of hokey as far as like, you know, doing her kind of quirky improv. Uh, I thought Seven did a pretty solid uh, cover here, though, with um, Raffi backing her play. And so I was like, yeah, I, it, it, it worked. It was it was both funny and within, I thought, the realms of uh, the bounds of reality. I have to confess, I probably would have stuck in a, 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 a riff about this guy being, well, but I'm going to have to, you know, come with you just you know because just in case some other security guard sees you yeah so and i and i he just wants to watch the lesbians make out you know and I was, you know they're all like oh god fuck the 21st century so. but yeah when, when you look like jerry ryan it's probably easy to get a common yeah. dude to you know help you out with some favors or something but that's part of the story you know seven is like oh my god this is really awesome people are like treating me as like this really nice person instead of treating me like this oh the weird freak i just like it you could just say picture just like, <laughs> photograph yeah. where uh, <laughs> yeah. uh capture an image yeah first she capture says an capture image, an image yeah. and then after that she yeah. says cellular photograph which yeah. phones in 2020 that aren't even like cellular technology and they haven't been for for a while so i don't uh but, but you still call it cell phone and people will call yeah. it yeah like that, so. but that's actually like i guess in, that in is a cell phone that she's holding actually yes it's like they, a, the tricorder <laughs> oh yeah sorry that's probably in your easter egg so yeah Recordings. but yeah they, they used uh samsung galaxy z Flip phones for the tricorders, and then for the pads, it's the uh, the Samsung Galaxy Z Fold. It's bigger than the the flip, but uh, I kind of want to get one of those because uh, it's a it's a tricorder mm-hmm. from the the uh, the CSS at least <laughs> or the uh, Confederation. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what the, <laughs> yeah. the Federation is using, but yeah, the rule seems to be you use the same stuff for the most part. Mm. But... Yeah, father, it wants a, same you want a Confederacy tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that would be, but. <laughs> Oh, no. It's got the fucking Confederate flag on it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll say it's like steam powered. Um, <laughs> or something. 1860s technology. Uh, but... So Griffith Park is burning down, apparently. It's like, in, a, oh. in a really like clone and paste and clone and paste. This is the one part of like of just all the imagery in the season, a series. Last two or three episodes, I'm like, nah, this doesn't look good. I don't know. This, having seen this sort of thing happen in real life, it just does, looks too... Too hmm. controlled, I guess. I don't know. For uh, people listening, Aaron's talking about the the wide shot that shows the the iconic uh, Hollywood. What do you call that? Sign the letters. Hollywood Hills. Like, the Wood Hills. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Wood Hills next to a yeah. a gigantic ass fire. And you can see Griffith Observatory in the center. As a non-native, it, it it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, looks real enough. <laughs> yeah. Just, oh, yeah. I have to admit, I looked at that and I didn't think, and at no point did it cross my mind that looks controlled. <laughs> <laughs> well, true, but I mean, for if you if you have lived here and you've watched enough of these fires, you're like, wow, that's like they've got it rounded up and it's like there's there's fire breaks and everything and like yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, I can. And this is depending on what time of year. It seems like if it does take place a month or two after the bell rise, this is about the time when we're still having fires. So sadly. Well, that's I think all we have on the on the episode. Uh, unless y'all have any 
final thoughts, anything else you want to get out there before I go into the, the Gornegg section of the show? I, I was pleased to see they did not try to drill holes in Rios's head to fix him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's... 2024 is better than 1986, I guess, with uh, with medical <laughs> technology, so that makes sense. Doctor gave me a pill and I grew a new kidney. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I have any 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 particular comments on on the episode. Um, mm. It was very cliffhangery. We'll see if that tradition continues, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting past the find the watcher quest and actually moving into whatever happens after we find the watcher next week. And I'm also very eager to see how they go about finding what happened to Rios and then the Rios rescue mission which i think might be a lot of fun hey father can that be our next text track poll a uh before it happens who do we think them is the most likely candidate for the watcher this would be the week to do it something yeah. to think about something to think about. i mean it's going to be what was the best discovery season finale now that we have four of those but uh maybe we can do two polls i don't know we'll find out but in the gorn eggs that's the easter eggs in jokes and continuity connections i found within the episode i'm just gonna knock these out for picard and then we'll talk about that discovery finale uh but we open up with a classic is it classic if it's from 1996 i guess yeah, i guess that's been long enough uh at this point sure <laughs> I don't know. It seems like that wasn't that long ago, but we have the Steam Runner and also the Nova class ship chasing down La Serena at the beginning, which if you were ever going to do like weird copy paste fleet type ships, it would make sense to do it in your alternate timeline. It would actually probably make more sense than to be like, it's all the exact same ships as the real timeline. But this is more of the Star Trek tradition. I was very happy to see those because that was one of my big complaints in in season one. And uh, there is a line of dialogue on La Serena from seven to Raffi about using dermaline dermaline to treat Elnor. And that's something that they established on Voyager that they used a couple of times there for medical Mm -hmm. emergencies. Also, the time warp sequence, we talked about that being very familiar to Star Trek IV with Rios uh, counting the the warp factor, like very much the same style that George Takei did it in Star Trek IV. And then kind of the the trippy, dreamlike, surreal sequence. Uh, not as trippy, but still in that same spirit. And then what we were talking about with the the tricorders, we get new 25th century tricorders, but this is the Confederation variant. So we'll see what they look like if we ever get to uh, return to the, the UFP timeline. And uh, some of the locations that it shows in Los Angeles. Uh, Aaron, let me know if I get all these right, but it's the Santa okay. Monica Boardwalk. Yep. The... Griffin or Griffith Observatory? Griffith. Griffith. Okay, Griffith Observatory. And in here, if you look, is also what the Chronoworks building was from 1996. It's that one skyscraper that's sort of sitting off by itself (laughs) near the train station. If you go up from the observatory's second dome on the left, it's kind of right. It's a sort of a brownish-orange Okay, so those are those are the three that I was going to point out. These are all locations that were visited in Star Trek Voyager in Season 3 when they went back in time and hung out with Sarah Silverman. Uh, So, cool. And... On that deli that Rios passes out next to on the sidewalk, it's labeled Tipton Bros Deli. Uh, Tipton Brothers, uh, of course, uh, almost certainly being a reference to the comic book writers that have done a lot of the recent IDW Star Trek comics. Oh, and it was also cool. in one of the comic books for the, when the one they did the uh, City on the Edge of the Forever. Real, the, yeah, City of the Edge of Forever. Yeah, so it's okay. time travel. It's like an Easter egg within With, an Easter egg kind of. Be- beautiful, beautifully illustrated by uh, J.K. Woodward. Uh, highly recommend people uh, read that and check it out. That was cool that they do a tip of the hat to the comics people. They don't. Uh, I don't think they get it too often. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're also using ships from Star Trek Online. Yeah. So. They're uh, they're 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 pretty friendly with the the licensed uh, creatives these days. Oh, and you have a lot of the authors are working on the show, David Mack and Dayton Ward. So yeah, they're uh, mm-hmm. they're they're utilizing all of these Star Trek resources from the uh, the the non canonical arm of of the franchise. Uh, that's really cool. A lot of those are uh, really really great talented 
people. And we see a sign for the LA Sanctuary District reminiscent of what we saw in Deep Space Nine past tense. And also the Europa mission billboard. It's labeled to boldly go. Um, of course, Zephram Cochran is, it must be like a young kid. And he sees this marketing for this uh, Europa mission. And that's why he's he's going to coin the phrase to boldly go uh, later. And then Starfleet ends up really going hardcore with, with that. <laughs> They're really great at branding. Yeah. <laughs> That's why there's logos all over everything in Starfleet. <laughs> uh, well, there's oh, yeah. there's logos all over the clinic, Clinica Las Mariposas, or however you're supposed to say it. Sorry if I'm butchering it. But there's like a, a butterfly logo that we see a couple of times in there. That butterfly logo showed up in the first episode of the season on a cargo container when Seven was delivering medical supplies. So Dr. Teresa's clinic must somehow shape or form continue into the future and they're like providing medical supplies that seven's like you know delivering to people huh that's crazy it was a it was a time travel gorn egg how how terry metallus is that he, he planted an easter egg that we didn't even realize was easter egg yet <laughs> and then i found the stock image that it's from it's yes like yeah. shutterstock shutter logo which is hilarious <laughs> i'm like that's why it's in the 25th century they just grabbed the same file you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do a, a butterfly logo once, and I, I was like, I know this logo. I've seen this this design. It was like, so I just went back and looked through all of my files, and was like, that's it. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, you you do you do graphic design and yes in real life. So, and um, speaking of comics, I actually just did uh, four covers for oh, the yeah. uh, Discovery uh, comic book, the Adventures in the Thirty Second Century, the, yeah, issue one available uh, now. Yes. And then the uh, the last thing I caught in this episode is when uh, Ice is. Detaining and arresting Rios, the officer says, let me guess, no UHC card, no ID. UHC card is what Dick Miller was looking for on Cisco and Bashir in past tense when he arrested them. I assume they, they thought that would mean like universal health card, uh, which it'd be nice if we had universal health care in 2024. I don't know if, if that might be like the one thing they didn't. Sadly, the good thing is the one that they didn't predict correctly. <laughs> or is it just called that, but it's actually just a card that like in which you are on a registry, but it doesn't it's yeah. not actual it, health care. It could, it could stand for something yeah. else. Like it's just got everybody's stats. This is like what they have in like a lot of countries. Like in Canada, you get like a social health card, and if you have to go to the doctor, you just scan your card. And a lot, a lot of countries are like that, but not ours. But anyways, <laughs> that's everything I found in the episode. So, um, Aaron, anything you want to uh, uh, leave us with, or the things I didn't point out about the episode, or that you want to mention? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, the aerial view when we're going to the clinic is North Hollywood. It's uh, I've walked the street a couple times. It's pretty close to my friend Matt's house, so I was like, oh, I recognize that. Uh, and you saw CVS in the, in the so I was like CVS has been in Star Trek, which is very weird. I don't know why. <laughs> and Rick and Morty now. So, so. and Rick and Morty. Yeah. What, what else are we? So. And I, I thought Pepsi Cola, but but not when I rewatched the episode. No. But I'm sure I some think that's branding like, will Korean Air or something like that. Korean I can't Air, or, or maybe it's just the hotel logo. I don't remember. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But yeah, and my uh, in the 25th century, my old apartment building exists still. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, you saw that in the uh, the first episode of the of the season. Yeah. And then you can see it in this episode, the current modern day version. So that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, after so, uh, so many decades of Southern California being used to create the the future in Star Trek, it is it is kind of nice to uh, to have that have that again with Star Trek. Picard. Yeah, it was fun to come back. It feels like if you watch uh, TOS, it feels like TOS and Southern California of the '60s kind of have a, a crossover and they, they're sort of interlinked. Like if it was made in Canada, I don't know what it would be like. It could be different. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Aaron. I'd, I'd love if Thank I could you. have you back on board for uh, for more Picard talk uh, throughout sure. the 
second season. Uh, we're going to go spore jump into the 32nd Ooh. century and talk about this discovery finale that you haven't had time to, to catch yeah, up on yet. Yeah, I've had a lot of crap happening in my life, so I'm a little behind on everything. So, uh, But yes, hopefully next time I'll also be more well-rested and be able to string a sentence together. <laughs> oh, well, I think you did great. And everyone on our audience, please uh, let us know how much you appreciate uh, Aaron taking the time to, uh, to join us, and we'll be sure to have him back. We will go right. ahead and say goodbye for now. Bye. Have a good one, man. Thank you. Bye. So, Star Trek Discovery Season 4 Finale. Uh, there's going to be a, probably a lot to unpack here because uh, we, we have a, an entire season now to look at in retrospect. So, uh, we'll we'll each just go around and give our opinions on that. I'm just going to recap it real quick. They, they finally get to talk to the 10C. They stop Tarka. They lose Book. But then they get him back. And uh, we're, we're now, we're friends with the 10C and, and Earth and Navarre are safe. That makes it sound very... Um, uneventful but um it, it's uh, a, lot, a lot cooler when, when you see it i guess uh i'll just go ahead and give my my opening statement on this episode but uh i i thought this was a great episode i am very satisfied with it uh, it didn't blow me away didn't knock my socks off or anything but uh you know i'm just pleased to have a discovery finale that I, I'm, I'm really happy with uh ag again like the picard episode this immediately got me on board right at the beginning opening with the the earth rescue mission Finally getting to see Tilly back on the ship. There's just been like a, a Tilly-sized hole with her being absent from the show. So it just, it felt so, it just felt right to have Tilly back on Discovery. It felt right. I really liked seeing the, you know, her and Vance working together. And uh, then from that point on, every emotional beat that they were, they were aiming for in this episode. And Discovery always swings for the, the, the home runs. And they don't always, they don't always connect. They don't always hit. But. Everything here, it actually, it felt like an earned emotional moment. Nothing, nothing felt too too forced, or nothing like I I, I didn't buy into or you know go along with. So um, again, you know, very refreshing and uh, better than than some of the the past discovery experiences I've had. And uh, I thought it was really cool. We got this big, huge spectacle of a story that is so entrenched in things like science and diplomacy, and it wasn't about you know a military exercise they're not like shooting phasers at people or blowing people up or anything it was very much the the other side of star trek that is the uh the scientific stuff the intelligence stuff the diplomacy the the striving for peace and something that dave said a long time ago when we were first starting our our uh text trek project that what star trek uh really means at, at its core uh, dave if you remember saying this is intelligence and compassion together will will save the day will win and i i think that was on display in this episode so so kudos kudos to uh, michelle paradise on the script and uh tune day on the direction and uh, there is a lot of uh, solid performances here and uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the final result. Uh, Dave, what about you? You know, uh, having uh, said that that's uh, what I wanted and that you find that reflected in it, I feel bad to say that uh, it did not land for me. Uh, <laughs> I was actually uh, – and that's not wholly true. I was enjoying the the ride uh, for decent portions of the of the show, uh, and I thought it was strongest in sort of its, some of its emotional moments. I thought Sonequa Martin-Green did really amazing in the moment where she thought that Book uh, was, was dead and had to shoulder on. But I feel like Discovery, more often than not for me lately, really monkey wrenches itself, and 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 I think it it was because this sort of felt for all the that the season built uh, is built around coming to this to a head like this, it felt toothless for me at the end, at like where I felt like almost everybody was getting some kind of a happy ending. You know, Book got saved by the aliens. Detmer was about to sacrifice herself but didn't have to. Uh, Nadoye 
tried to make the sacrifice. Even she got saved. Book got um, community service. I feel like for his uh, for his crimes, and and you know Earth and stuff kind of just got scratched. Saru got a girlfriend. It was just it was too. It was like I I well, I don't want my heroes to be miserable. I don't need it to be Battlestar Galactica, but I needed to have a little bit more edge than it does. It was it was toothless. Is, is what it, that's that's what I'm going with. Um, and and I don't know if that's like a, just a broad transition of the show, but I do notice it more lately that everybody is on the crew almost feels too supportive to each other there's too many shots of crew members looking at each other and smiling and like nodding like yeah we do support each other always yeah. but i think they um, earned it here when they, they get that at the end but i do agree i think nadoye probably should have she should have been allowed to die to to redeem herself for her betrayal <laughs> father I, I blame you for my feeling this way because you got me watching deep space nine and that was like a that kind of uh, went with a more cynical eye and or more realistic if you well, want to just put it that most way people survive most episodes on that show so they've Right, but tonally, like, uh, it it feels more like Pyrrhic victories and things like that, or, uh, and and this one just felt like a, a like too much back padding to me. You you want more Ron Moore scripts? You said you didn't want new Battlestar Galactica, but you're also pretty much saying I want the DS9 bittersweet well, victory, and that's the you know Ron Moore hallmark. It is the I suppose that is the foot that Discovery got off on. You know, uh, that is the vibe of the early season, at least one or two seasons, and and when George Al was on the ship, there was still some more of that bite. And I also was kind of I was frustrated that the ten C's motivate or not not motivation, but that uh, their reason for inadvertently killing billions was no more than the what I kind of guessed, which was oh y'all are just ants to us. We didn't. Oops, we didn't really know. And I was that it's just that's a very old sci-fi trope. And and they, it seems like they put all their intellectual energy towards the communication sequences, uh, which I thought were, you know, in the last episode especially, were really good. But I was disappointed that there was no no more to the ten C than oops. Um, so, so that was, uh, there was enough frustrations that I guess I'd say I left more frustrated than not by the end of it. And part of that's because like the last 15 minutes was like a big hug. <laughs> okay. Um, Brian, what you, what you got? I, I mean, I think this is easily the best season finale discovery is done. Um, I, I feel like that because I, I do as much as I love discovery, I have to agree the season one finale was a little, not as good as the rest of the season. And the season two finale was not as good as the rest of the season. And the season three finale was not as good as the rest of the season. I need to rewatch that first one because like, I feel like I might have liked that one best. Um, but I also have not revisited it. I, I don't hate the first season finale. It was, it was a little anticlimactic, but I I think it was my favorite until now. I'll, I'll take this one over it. I think. Yeah, whereas I felt like this one was easily, I I, I thought it, I mean, maybe you wouldn't disagree, but I thought it was on par with the rest of the season nicely and did not feel like a sudden drop the ball, fail to stick the landing kind of episode. I thought, no, this, this stuck the landing. It maybe wasn't the smoothest landing in the world, but they landed that plane and it taxied up to the terminal. (laughs) (laughs) I will say it probably was on par with the rest of the season. I think you and I may have just had different views of what the, how the rest of the season was. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what I said. You might actually agree with this part. Oh yeah, yeah. I liked the fact that it what didn't involve a bunch of deliberate violence. There's like one punch and one shuttle ram, and that's about the the extent of deliberate violence happening in this story. And I appreciated that. In, in, after go look at all the others, they're much more violent than that. And and most season finales and most Star Trek tend to be fairly violent. I actually I do agree with that. I, I like when they try and try and avoid it, just being like a pew pew or you know kind of thing. 
I thought it was a touch predictable, but they spent 12 episodes setting up the dominoes right in front of us. So we were always good. We kind of had a pretty good idea, I feel like, of how they were going to fall down. And to quote Tom Baker, uh, the fourth doctor, watching them fall was immensely satisfying. So. <laughs> I, I do think they spent too long, you know, telling the story. I don't think it needed to be 13 episodes, but next season they are moving to the 10 episode format that all the other Star Trek shows are using. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that because that's really my only criticism with season four is that it was drawn out for far too long. Yay, we can get rid of the casino episode. <laughs> I, I, I would like to time travel back to 2016 and show you the clip of Fathery saying, I wish they made the Star Trek seasons were shorter. So <laughs> I'm getting 50 plus episodes a year. I'm okay with shorter seasons. Fathery needs, he needs some downtime on uh, podcast production. You know, so, I'll say so. this, it's really hard for me these weeks when they overlap, when they do two shows at the in the same oh, week. Yeah. Like, this is the third week in a row of them doing that with Picard and Discovery. It just takes, it normally takes me about 10 hours I know no one cares about this, but it's, it's about 10 hours of work to uh, get ready for the live stream to get the, the podcast edited and distributed and everything. And I have to watch these episodes three times, the process I go through. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, like, doing this routine. But when there's two episodes, it just takes even more time. But I enjoyed getting so much Star Trek I enjoyed this week that I believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm sad there's only one episode of Star Trek next week. <laughs> So I, I, I am I am insane, and uh, I, I, I think I have, like, an addiction to, to Star Trek. You think? <laughs> hey, can we quick throw up Linda Marx's comment in the uh, sure. comments? Uh, I feel like uh, that's, feeling, that's where I'm feeling right now. Disco. Everyone loves everyone all the time. It's exhausting. <laughs> no. I, I think when you save Earth, you, you earn the big celebration in the bar. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, that's been an ongoing complaint of the show for a lot of people, including myself at times. But, yeah, we, we start off with uh, this... Starbase with the Federation HQ. Apparently, it can not only fly around at warp, but it can also uh, split apart and be a bunch of, uh, of of little ships. Was that cool or weird? You know, uh, I, I'll allow a lot for the. Where, where are we? Thirty. Wait, thirty second or thirty third? Thirty second century. Yeah. I'll allow a fair amount. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it's allowed. Yeah. It it needs to be ridiculously weird stuff to fill. You know, what is that? Seven hundred years more advanced than Picard in the twenty fifth yeah. century. DS9 could move around a little bit. Uh, they could even yeah. move it like, like more, right? Death Star in the in the other Star franchise, the Death Star could, yeah. uh, could go to different sis, different solar systems and stuff. They can just go now. They can go hot rodding. And I think they're going <laughs> to stay where they're at now. So that's good for like a one way trip. It might take a while before you have the engines up and running to you know move it again. I like the idea that the ship could be pulled apart into a bunch of little ships like the Prometheus design class gone mad. But um, <laughs> I did look at it saying when they designed this model of the star of the starfleet hq they clearly had no idea that they were going to be splitting this up into programmable matter you can you can add uh you can add connection points wherever you want oh yeah no but the 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 cgi modelers who put it together for season two had no no one told them oh and it needs to be able to split apart into a bunch of ships because i'm sure it would have looked different had they been given that briefing so, which is fair enough. I mean, it was another season. I, I liked it. I, I preferred it. Uh, I prefer to be amazed by the crazy technology of the 32nd century rather than the reverse of, wait, they still can't do that? Or, wait a minute, they could do that back in Voyager. So. <laughs> Let's talk about, like, in the hyperfield. We have Madman Tarka is proceeding to the, the power source and book's ship. You know, talking about the, the multiverse, trying to talk book into, like, oh, I can... You know, your family, they, they're they not going to be quite the same, but, you know, close enough. So you should uh, team up with me. And uh, while that's going on on the Discovery, the president and Michael are trying to react to 
uh, the, the, the 10C freaking out at Book's ship, and, and they learn, Nadoya confesses that, oh, I was the one who vented the plasma. That really pisses Burnham off, but uh, Nadoya is, is then told, like, oh, wait, you got played. You know, uh, Tarka was lying to you. He's taken Book hostage. So that kind of sets her up to have her big redemption moment later on in the episode, which Dave and I were talking about. Yeah, they should just let her die. To, I think that would have made the redemption easier to accept. That, that, that's probably my only nitpick and serious nitpick in the episode. You know what's weird is I don't I didn't particularly I don't think I would like the episode any better if that had happened. Yeah. I just I just honestly felt like it was just a little bit too much of a parade of sort of of, of wins. That's all. I'd, I'd be curious, like any any women of color fans that watch the show, if they have thoughts on this, because I know like that was one of the criticisms of Discovery season one is like you had just killed a bunch of women of color with Giorgio and Landry. And then I think there's another one in there somewhere. And so I, I think now like just oh, and then, you know, they did like the bury your gay thing with. Dr. Colber. So I think now like they're a little reluctant about killing any other people. They broadly have a, a diverse enough cast that I think it's it's gotten a little bit easier, I hope, and we're getting closer to you know an ideal where anybody might end up in any situation. Sure. They might end up in a bad spot, might end up in a good spot. When I think about these sort of three-way sort of push-pull with Nadoye, it's three people of color sort of trying to figure out their will. She's torn in the middle, Burnham has this perspective, and Book has this perspective. You know, And I think they're all nuanced enough in their trails that I don't at least you know I'm saying this is white guy um uh, but right. but like I felt to me like it was a fairly nuanced pr look at him and that nobody got vilified so so that that much at least I think was cool yeah um and if anyone in that community does have any thoughts on it please let us know or, uh, or let us know if you want to come on the show and talk about this stuff well uh for sure well or if you just want to talk about like other stuff if you want to talk about like other parts of Star Trek then we, we'd love to have you on board but Brian you as the big Vulcanoid fanatic. What did you think about seeing Tarina's mind meld? You complimented the show before about how they didn't just use like the mind meld cheat to communicate with the aliens. <laughs> well, they do here. Yeah, but at least we, we got a whole episode of doing the other thing first and we only had to pull out the mind meld because Tarka is an ass. And so I was like, oh, okay. I, I, I did kind of wonder why they didn't bring that up when they were in the shuttle bay and stumped last episode. And they're like, well, let's bring the bridge, bridge crew down. Maybe they'll have an idea. It seems like somebody could have said, well, we could load Tarina in a spacesuit and shoot her <laughs> out there. <laughs> you know, um, your style. And I didn't want them to do that in the second episode, but it, it, it would have, it, it, it almost feels odd that they didn't bring that up since that is what they were going to do in the next episode. Um, I mean, they don't have to put her in a spacesuit as it turns out. So I guess these, aliens no, it's, are very, it's like very a, one of our planets is missing in the animated series. I yeah. saw someone complain about like, you can't mind meld through a window. And I'm like, yeah, you can, you goofy bastard. They did that in the animated yeah, yeah. series. You don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, yeah. about. Shut up. You know, um, you know, Vulcans and any any race that is uh, has telepathy or you know mind meld type stuff. Uh, I, I say this as someone uh, uh, this, uh, in role playing games. I'm always acutely aware if uh, characters have those powers because basically that means they have the power to see through my plot, and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. And so I understand you you don't want Vulcan mind melds to immediately be a solution to many issues of communication and things like that. But yeah, that's just just one of those things where like a line or two about it's like you know even if it was just like hey this is an extremely personal thing it actually could go wrong there's you know there's there could be problems with it it's not a not a, by any means a, a clear-cut solution you know but if only if they, to say culturally i am i'm not going to just go and mind melt with anybody you ask me yeah. to but because this is so so vitally important 
Yes. Yeah, I think I think Spock is just a really promiscuous mind melder. He's just he'll mind meld with anything. Uh, not not every Vulcan is as uh, willy nilly about it as he is. And, and even here, when she does it, it is shown to be at great risk to her, and really not that helpful. She just walks away saying like they're really confused, they're scared, they don't trust us. The only thing we learn that's helpful is that they're a hive mind, like the board, or like the Medusans and Prodigy. Zero told us that the, the Medusans are a hive mind too. Maybe she should have been the uh, the sacrifice for the episode, uh, dying to uh, make the communication happen. No, because we. Oh, we I don't really want that, that to happen either. That romance with, with Saru, which they, no, we they, don't. They talk about a little bit here. When you're you're against that now, you're against the Saru romance. I was. I've been against it. I think most of the time. But I thought uh, you were against like the uh, the build up to it. Now that now that they're like kind of officially an item, has it has it not won you over? No, because they uh, when they actually did it, it was uh, they were like they were like t saying these very romantic and poetic things to each other and talking about the depth of their feelings. And I was like, bro, you haven't even gone on a date yet. Wait, wait, hold up. Hold up. They're Just go dates. watch it. They did like I... meditation together. He uh, he left his his tree plant on uh, with her to like go visit her and have tea with her. They went on a walk in the holodeck. I guess, I guess it felt uh, I felt a little a little early for that level of commitment to me. But uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, they have they, they watch a movie, watch a movie. Yeah. Um, I did want to say I really liked the multi universal talk about with Tarka and book about, Oh, you could come with me to another universe and find another Quajon. And I, I liked that it. It's not Jet Reno saying it's not the same. And I just, I really liked that scene that, that really got me in the feels about all the complex feels I'd be having in that situation where I'd be like, well, you know, but I could have a version of it. It wouldn't be the same. And would that be good enough? And yeah, that, yeah. Like, that, that scares me to think about that. that I find, I find yeah. that terrifying. It's yeah. what's his name in the Matrix? Uh, who, who's Joe Pantoliano's character? Cipher. Yeah. Uh, the uh, ignorance is bliss. Uh, yeah. Eat the steak. Um, yeah. He um, now here's your question. A question though, didn't they a few episodes back see that he had uh, his his partner or whether romantic or not had left some symbol or uh, like indicating that maybe he actually had traveled there, like he might physically be there? Yeah, or at least he was on his yeah. way there when he left that symbol. Okay. I mean, presumably he'd have to leave the symbol, then go there, but <laughs> unless he's bopping back and forth. But Why did they? Why would they uh, bring up that kind of notable symbol of hope and have him so quickly buy into, oh yeah, it's just going to be a fake carbon copy of him? Like, uh, well, no, 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 no. He, he thinks Oros actually went there, because that was right. their plan. If we ever get separated, we'll go meet over there. So he thinks his Oros from the Prime timeline universe timeline. is yep. is in uh kyalis kyalis so what was their argument he's that telling, somehow it's he's not telling him? book like your real people won't be there but there might be some other ones that are close enough uh, i see i see yeah. they weren't trying to convince him that his boy wouldn't yeah. be yeah it, it, it ain't apples and oranges it's uh i got it i got it yeah yeah I mean, it could turn out they're all fascists, but you know, yeah, supposedly could, this is a it's good It's actually timeline. the Confederation <laughs> universe. Tarka actually makes it over there, and they're like, you dirty Rysian, you filthy alien. He's like immediately executed. Oops. <laughs> he, sees, he sees Oros's skull in Picard's trophy room. <laughs> He's like, no! Oh, there's... There's the Ron Moore script I wanted. Yeah. Yes, there we go. That, no, you're right. I also liked that uh, Nadoya? Nadoya? 
Nodoye is comes out and be's honest and says, it was me. I, I did it, which again, reinforces this theme of, of you're better if you just tell the truth, even if it's awkward and painful, yeah. uh, that seems to be running through the season and the openness between Tirana uh, and Saru later on and their openness with each other, again, reinforcing honesty yeah. is in communication. Just, it's it's yeah. better. It's better to say things that need to be said than, than keep secrets. Broadly, I like that in theory, but haven't always liked how they've executed executed it. Uh, with Nadoye, I thought they did a, for whatever reason, that one I thought worked better, and I and I liked I liked how that played out. Yeah, and, and it, you know, it works as her character is like the dutiful soldier. Um, she, right. You know, like, I stand by my actions. I did it because of right. XYZ. And what President Rillick says later about, you know, reasons matter, and we should, you know, consider that too. That would be nice to, that, that's a, that is something where I, there are times when I was like, I do like the idea that broadly uh, 32nd century justice should be uh, it, it's nice to imagine it actually being more just. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the their escape from the orb with the spore drive that destroys the reaction cube. And I assume they're going to be able to rebuild the spore drive. I don't know if it'll look different in season five, but uh, I was at this weird mushroom ship that you know a lot of people had a lot of problems with in season one way back in 2017. I was actually sad to see like this this reaction cube room blow up. I was like, no, oh, I'm going to miss that well, thing. I, it's their I, thing I, now. It, it became their thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, I actually was just like last week thinking we haven't seen the room with all the mushrooms in a long time. I <laughs> oh, we haven't seen that since season mushroom. one. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, that cargo bay with all the mushrooms. And, and we, what we saw once Stamets in the chair doing the little arm thing, Jesus arm thing. Looks like uh, Starfleet now is going to go have to uh, have to go back to torturing tardigrades. No, they have so. um, they have Aurelio, Kenneth Mitchell's character. He's uh, he can build them another prototype. Yeah, yeah, it does seem like that's in the cards. I, I would assume. Yeah. But the new one, you just like plug into the console. There's not like a whole room and a bunch of mushrooms. And apparently you just go kachunk into your and it sinks down into the console and you're ready to go. And that's not a book is able to escape from the force field with the the cat collar, which they actually set that up earlier in the season. There's a lot of things they set up earlier that pay off here. Like they, they established in the second episode of the season that Grudge hates hollows. She doesn't trust holograms. And so that's why she has like this anti hologram collar. I'd forgotten that. That's yeah. that's pretty cool. There's a few little things like, and I think a lot of it did just come from you know COVID caused like a delay in shooting, and the writers are able to. Th th this season of Discovery, it actually feels like a, a specific vision, even though I think like the, the story felt felt stretched out and has some filler in the second half of the season. I I do think that it, it was uh, more planned and more structured than previous seasons, and also um I noticed Alex Kurtzman wasn't uh d didn't have the the writing credits in this episode that he had previously, specifically with like finales and stuff like that. And I, I think this is just more of a purely Michelle Paradise version of the show after she had season three to to be showrunner for a whole season and then then here to build on top of what she did there. So um, I, I actually think the writing has improved in the show. I, I still like season three a little bit more, but this is easily my second favorite season of Discovery. It I, And I really enjoyed this season. I like that using a cat toy to escape the prison is great fun. Yeah, his, his cat ownership is what what uh, allowed him to, to to win in the end. Oh, he yeah. doesn't own grudge. <laughs> As his his my cat ownership, I mean grudge's ownership of, of him. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he gives the message to Reno. He says, uh, uh, "Tell Michael I love her and to do whatever is necessary." And then I I love Tignataro's performance of how it's still like so like dry and deadpan, but at the same time it still felt you know really authentic and heartfelt. It was it's really weird yeah. that it. It came off that way, but when she's just like, I guess like the straightforward, the bluntness. Right. She's built up a, a sort of oeuvre of uh, of acting style that's super 
low-key and, and wry and sardonic. Mm. So, but, but like a slight inflection here and there can sound be what you know from Reno is, uh, is sort of a, uh, is, is, is deep empathy. It's like a, like an um, outburst from a, from someone right. else. Right. It's like the, uh, the, the three ships episode of Lower Decks with the Vulcans, you know, where it's, you make this. Oh yeah. And it's like, you're it out of control. Big... You're way too emotional. Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, when, when she tells Michael, like, uh, you know, the man loves you, he says, you know, do whatever you got to do. Even it means killing. Let me, let me also ask, uh, Dave, uh, I know sometimes, it, you know, it bothers you if people get too jokey during high stakes stuff and it, it can bother me too. But at the beginning when she's, you know, telling Buck, oh, if only I had soup. some heat and hot and sour soup. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'm just, uh, I'm just hungry or it, it, at least, at least we won't have any pain when we die. You know, so that's, that's good news. That one, pain. that one, that one worked for me. I think, you know, it was, it was a, it was ultimately in service to rather dark humor, I suppose, uh, sort of gallows humor, uh, which the, with the, the scene would, which fits the scene. But even at, if it hadn't gone to that, uh, I, I thought that worked pretty well. That's that fits who Reno is as a person. Yeah. I haven't seen Tig Notaro in a lot of dramatic stuff, but where's Kovich and our live audience is telling us that she is brilliant in one Mississippi, which I, I think she might actually she was originally from Mississippi, and then like she went to high school in Houston, Texas, I believe. So I I, I like to claim her as one of our as one of our Texas Star Trek actors, but I, th- I think she was born in Mississippi. I I liked her. Uh, is this where I get to say I was born ready? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that Book could have just found a way to blow up his ship. I mean, can he just all go the to all where the, the controls were hacked? Is? No, to just go to where the antimatter is and shoot it with the phaser till the antimatter gets loose and blows the ship up. I mean, he's uh, not an go engineer, to tor- but... Go to where the torpedoes are and shoot them with the phaser until they blow up. Um... I assume that stuff is, like, force field protected. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just felt like... Th- it seems like there should be a... When you've got a ship with a, bu- a big crate of antimatter on it, it shouldn't be that hard to blow up if you're, you know, have a phaser in your hand. I, I don't think something. it's asking but... too much for the audience to accept that uh, that, that Tarka has made, made the ship bulletproof, where it's like... like there's nothing you can do internally to to stop it so yeah um i liked as far as examples of 32nd century discovery can pick up an incoming transporter beam figure out what it would look like when it's fully assembled hijack the beam and redirect it to the bridge and i i I was like that that is some impressive shit there (laughs) that that is some very impressive you you could not do that in the 24th century well they need to set that up too with reno so that what we you know expect it to happen with book and then get the the rug pulled out from under us when it doesn't work and then get the rug pulled out out from us again when the the tennessee fix it yeah with the 24th century you are lucky to get your shields up by the time you detect an incoming transporter beam and that's like your only option maybe we could raise the shields if we hurry and stop the beam from getting in here but here they can detect it coming hijack it scan the inside figure out what it is redirect it to some other place it was like nice <laughs> you know because book had, had certainly done stuff to redeem himself and had kind of reconnected with michael over the course of several episodes now and because that was a very dramatic scene i think i would have gone with losing book as the sad uh sad loss in this misunderstanding with these aliens i, I especially kind of like uh, as a dramatic thing the oh we almost got him and then we didn't but dave I, I don't think they would want to do that because i think they would get a lot of anger for establishing this uh this black love relationship between these two black actors and then and then killing one of them so. Sure. I mean, that's fair. There's, there's, there's sort of different levels to think about it on. And, and, you know, one level is, you know, the real world meta history that we are living in. But dramatically speaking, I just know that like that was like the anchor for the episode for, for me. For those who've seen the movie Serenity, 
Joss Whedon's thing. There's going to be, uh, I'm not even going to say who what, what happens, but some character gets lost in there. And because it's, it's stunning because it happens sort of suddenly. And in fact, in a moment when you think that things are safe. Um, and so it, it's just, it's a very effective dramatic tool. And I think this would have been different enough from something like that, that it was still an effective tool. If, if, if book and book and Tark had been on the ship and they're like, well, the only way to stop it is to pop the antimatter box and you've got the code for that. All right, we'll do it together. Boom. I, and I would have been, and then, you know, Michael gets all sad. I, I, I would have been okay with that ending. I would have been a little, I, I certainly would have been bummed, but I would, that's what they wanted me to feel. But the way they did it with him almost beaming back to the bridge and then the transporter failing after, after they spent so much time setting up how Tarka could transport him to the bridge. I was like, he ain't dead. He's coming <laughs> back. That, that, that is not the way you kill off yeah. book. Not with that little convoluted, weird, weird bit of weirdness that, 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 that's yeah. He, he, the aliens got him or something. But I, I, I was actually pretty happy to see him alive at the end. And I'll explain why when we, when we get to yeah. that, I, I'm happy with it too. Cause I love the character and I want him to be in the next season. So I'm, I'm, I, I will. I, I'm fine I love it. a good death scene. <laughs> I do too, but I also love when your heroes are so fucking good at what they're doing that they're able to save the day. Yeah, I agree with that in principle. But because they gave me that death scene and then they took it away from me, I'm bitter at <laughs> I them. I mean, they did that. They did that to you in the Wrath of Khan too. They they take that away in the next movie. Well, at least in Wrath of Khan, I got to sit with it. Yeah, that's true. Honestly, I, I if they had done a kind of thing where. Uh, he and, and Tarka, there was a question of whether they were able to get out or not, whether they might be in this other universe, whether they might have survived, and, and Burnham had to say, I've got to just live with hoping that that happened. Um, and then at some future date, they were brought back. I, I would have been down with that. Um, I, I think I, I kind of like the idea, I guess, of sitting with the grief. I think it's I think I uh, dramatically I like it. No, that, that that's not a bad ending. I have to admit, I might like that better. The, the them they both end up going to the alternate universe because that's the only place they can go. They don't have the you know for some reason or other they can only escape into the alternate timeline, uh, and so that's where they go. I, I, and I when he returns, he could say that there was a Michael there, and that it just he he knew that it, that, that, that like it was only made it worse because he knew that um that it wasn't her. Well, I, I like the Tarka and Book stuff in that uh that heart to heart that Book has with Tarka. Tarka finally like admitting that he, that he's wrong, that he's gone too far. And I think the actor Sean Doyle really acted the hell out of that. I was talking about, like there were good performances in this episode. Um, we'll talk about one in a second with with Book's death, but I thought Sean Doyle did a really good job. You know, he's he's been my uh, I, I know this is funny, but he, he's been kind of my go to character. Not like not like my favorite in the season, but like he's been the, one of the most interesting ones to me because of his flaws. And maybe that's that Ron Moore uh, thing in me um, that, that I wanted to see. Uh, and, and clearly it was kind of a bit of a thankless role because he was going to be asked to do the betrayal that kind of everybody predicted. Um, and he had to to do as, as best he could to win people over given those scenarios. And I, I think he did do like, he gave it his all. He for sure did. And he, he, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he makes it to his universe. I think, I think that there's enough evidence that he clearly was just not willing to accept how, how hopeless and impossible and difficult all of this is to get over there that he's, he's blinded by his, uh, his desire to, to escape the universe that I think it's just like sheer, like desperation, almost on like a ridiculous level there at the end that when he says like, yeah, maybe the impact will, will be enough energy to, get it but right. I, th I think it's just like here here is a a graceful a graceful way for me to to to, to bring my life to an end <laughs> well yeah he can't stop 
trying to yeah. tech the tech, you know, even though he probably knows the math doesn't I mean, work. Maybe out, he made it, it but I, I think that is, is highly it, unlikely. It, it, it's, it's Spock burning up all the fuel on the Galileo 7. <laughs> so it shouldn't work, but he's going to do it anyway. I did feel like it was a little awkward that they had to go get Nandoye to come up to the bridge and advise them and then send her down to the shuttle. And I felt like what they should have done is she shows up on the bridge and just confesses on her own initiative. I did the thing with the plasma and they're all like, Oh, you screw. Oh, uh, shit's happening. Just stand there in the corner for a moment. And then she steps in when they need a tactical advisor and pitches her plan and says she'll volunteer to do it. And they're like, well, okay, then, you know, th then we don't have to have this, oh, go get her and bring her up here. Then brief her on everything that's happened. Then see if she has an idea that, that you know, no, she was there on the bridge. They just hadn't had a chance to haul her off to the brig because things were happening so fast. And it was pretty clear that she wasn't an active threat at the moment. One thing I try to do when I'm watching these episodes is point out, like, whenever I have like an audible reaction to something, I, I like like a like a verbal or something like reaction, because I, I, I watch these like in the middle of the night alone at like one or two in the morning whenever they show up on Paramount Plus. So there were like three times where like I, I had like a, a verbal reaction out loud. And the first is when the shuttle is about to impact book ship. I, I like I, I, I screamed or squealed or something. I was like, ah, like, like, you know, like what's going to happen? Because I thought, yeah, like book, Tarka, Nadoye, all of them were, were possibly about to die. Then the second time I had like a outburst like that was Sonequa Martin-Green's performance when Burnham is reacting to, to book's death right in front of her. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't start crying at first, but it was when President Rillick puts her hand on Burnham's shoulder to comfort her. And then then Michael's reaction to, to that, to putting her hand on top of her hand. I don't know. For whatever reason, like that made me cry like that, like the uh, the person that, you know, initially like didn't really get along with her. But like now, like offering that support, but also, you know, still trying to be like the pragmatic boss lady who's like, you're going to be OK, Captain. We still have shit to do. <laughs> so but 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 and then like Burnham having to it's almost like Kirk at the end of Balance of Terror when you know he has like that really sad moment. Uh, you know, telling the, the 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 young woman that her fiance is dead, but but then he's got to, he's to straighten up his uniform and go down the corridor and and command his ship and and be the dutiful captain. I I, I felt we got like that stuff there too. No, I I loved all that. Even though, as I said, I. I kind of knew I was about 90% sure book wasn't going to stay dead for the rest of the episode. I was still, I was still very moved by it and felt like I, I could feel how sad she felt very tuned in with where the writers wanted me to be emotionally on, on the earth stuff. I, I just want to say like, I thought it was cool to have like two of those cadets come back and be recurring characters. And uh, I liked Tilly's whole thing about like, I'm glad I found my purpose in life and that idea of like, like, you know, like I'm, I, I don't, I don't regret this. I, 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 I did what a, I, sh I should have done. I'm, I'm happy that I did it and that stuff. Did y'all have a, have a strong reaction to Tilly being back on the, on the show briefly? I liked, but didn't love it. If for whatever reason, the scenes just didn't shine for me. I will say that um, I, I, I do like the idea of her having sort of found her role. There was a part where she said um, – it, it sounded a little – I thought this was a little trite sounding where she was saying, oh, I didn't get along well with my mom, mm -hmm. which we, we've we seen this come up before. And it seemed mm -hmm. like a pretty intense rift. And uh, she said um, – she's like, oh, but I, I always knew she loved me, and isn't that what counts? And that seemed a little pat, and I didn't like that. Uh, if she had said something like, I, I'd been holding on to that resentment a lot, but as I've you know gotten into a better headspace here at Starfleet Academy and find, been able to find a better sense of who I am, I've been able to let it go and, and sort of – I have to look – maybe squint a little bit to see the love behind it, but I can see that and take solace in it. Um, I like that idea. It was just a little pat. I don't know if that would have accomplished her goal of uh, you know reassuring Vance that like uh, your daughter is going to know how much you loved her. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, I guess that's what she was doing, but like, uh, because uh, I know that uh, like Tilly's mom seemed like a pretty monstrous person. I don't know if I'd say monstrous. I'd say like maybe like overbearing and a bit controlling. But I mean, I I, I know real moms in real life that are as bad as as Tilly's mom. I don't know if I'd say they're they're monsters. I, uh, okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, I I was under the impression that she had not made her peace with her mom particularly um, before. So I don't know. It just it just didn't quite seem. Uh, di like if if you're using that to support Vance, it seemed like she was using a disingenuous anec anecdote. <laughs> or I didn't buy it anyway. Um, I like that we finally see why was Tilly reassigned? Oh, so that she can be in all of these scenes here. Okay, now mm -hmm. I was because I've been wondering what that whole Starfleet Academy thing was about. Well, I, I don't I don't think she's going to be a regular on the show anymore, yeah. given some of Michelle Paradise's yeah. comments on season five. Tilly okay. will be in season five, we're told, but it, I think she's yeah. only going to be a recurring character. I did think it was weird that they know, oh, it feels like now is the time to take Tarka's alcohol and drink it, as if we're drinking to him. Even though we don't know why we're, you know, we don't know he died, but symbolically we're drinking to Tarka because we're drinking his booze. And I, I thought, well, that's, uh, I guess I like that. I guess I like <laughs> it. <laughs> I think that's just all they had to drink, but. But yeah, it can it, to the to the audience. It can it can work that way thematically. I thought it was weird that they pulled the bridge crew off again and took them down to the big meeting. I, I was like, what is this undiscovered country? Yeah, when they when they go to communicate with the Tin C, she's basically like, okay, any anyone who is a named character, <laughs> you need to be in in the scene. But it did make it feel kind of big, and f I'd rather them do something like this to have like their huge spectacle for the finale than like you know like another like big battle or something this is better than like yeah. all of those starfighters coming out the the enterprise like it's a a clown car with just like an endless amount of, of <laughs> tiny ships coming out of the back of it i thought this was a lot lot cooler than that and I, I did like the you know the visuals of it you know like all, seeing everyone stand in front of these these massive creatures but i didn't have i didn't really build up my expectations of like you know what the 10 c is going to look like or and they they've kind of already shown the general shape and stuff before but I, I i that wasn't like a big interest of mine what going into the finale it was like are they finally going to reveal the 10 c so I, I mean i wasn't disappointed i thought they looked neat but uh, i don't know did, did y'all like the the reveal the presentation of it yeah i, I mean it was i prefer I would have preferred a little better lighting and a little less shadow just so I could see things a little more clearly. But overall, I was like, yeah, that looks big and epic and huge and weird and alien. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I was reasonably pleased with that. I'm just going to agree with Brian. I didn't have super strong feelings. Their bigger moment was the communication in the previous episode. It was it was more about what they were about than what they looked like. You know, I, I might have liked for like something a little bit more... Uh, like something both physical and also maybe some weird, more weirder visual effects surrounding them, just as if, you know, they are a little bit beyond human ken or something like that. But uh, but I thought it was good. As, uh, no, no complaints. Now, the, the reason why I'm OK with the the resurrection of books so much and I, I actually applaud it is because I thought it worked very well as a means of forgiving the 10 C. I mean, I, I know that like they were innocent. They were making a mistake. They didn't they didn't know that they were killing intelligent beings. But, Their lawnmower had hit the ant pile. Yeah, um, but the, the but I think like restoring David Ajala's character goes a long way for both the audience and for our characters in the show to accept the Ten C and you know forgive them and start off that that friendship between our galaxy and the Ten C on a you know on a, on a, on a good note. Um, so I, I like that and. Um, I liked, the, you know, again, like the performances of, of, of their reactions. And then David Ajala's performance, he got so emotional where he's like crying. Like he really sold it. You got to remember, this is just like a dude on a set talking to a, a AR wall. Maybe he might have been looking at like a 
a video game image of the the ten C or something. But he's like putting his heart into this, or he he's like you know these these god level beings that, that you know they, they they just brought them back with a, a snap of their fingers like Q. You know that's how powerful they are. But he's like he's like like no, that's not good enough. You need to stop the. You need to stop what you're doing altogether, and and you know give up on your your hyper filled. He did get like a little on the nose with like a no, no one needs to live behind walls. You need to reach out and connect. But that theme of the season about like that communication and about the uh, talking to each other is is what we need to do to to find the the, the better tomorrow. And so I, I I really bought into that. And their their glowy foreheads, I've, I guess, sold it visually. You know, um, I, I liked I, I liked that he, he took them to task for that. Uh, the cynic in me. When they said uh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna amend our ways and and stuff like that, was like, is this like when the Exxon Valdez happened and Exxon is like, we made a mistake and we're fixing things, we're doing everything in our power, and then as soon as the media spotlights off them, they kind of quietly go back and put up their hyper field again. In the uh, in the montage at the end, they said that the the ten C have been keeping their word and they're cleaning up all like the subspace rifts and everything. I mean, that's cool of them, but it also then in a weird way, like, uh, do we know if they, you know, if the if the uh, hyper field i mean like we we don't know exactly like if there's if we're using that as the metaphor for the wall that trump wanted to build then yeah it's clearly an act of paranoia but were they paranoid what, what if they started doing this and then they're under attack and then they're like oh hey about that yeah you know i i did say two weeks later the cyber's cthulhu <laughs> from picard show up and wipe them out but that's <laughs> Well, it was after those those meteoroids or whatever like destroyed their their planet, so that's why they're that's why they're they're so cautious now, and right? Yeah. To the point to where they they've they've kind of obsessed about like their own um security and they're and and literally walled themselves off from the the rest of the galaxy. You know, I'll say this: this is something I broadly like about Star Trek. There are many many times we do see alien races that are you know some version of paranoid or predatory uh, or risky with their actions, and there are many times when we see aliens that are beyond that. And that's a uh, it's it's a pretty good mix overall. I, I think Trek manages to, to to maintain a level of optimism that yes, there could be some godlike aliens out there that actually have empathy, <laughs> while also showing us oh, that sometimes those godlike aliens are petty. Q or Trelane type people too. <laughs> yeah. I did have this moment when they brought book back, the moment you see the silhouette where I thought, what if it's Tarka? <laughs> yeah. Because he was trying to, uh, they were both trying to beam away. Did, boy, the audience would have turned on a dime on no, that. No, listen to, listen to this, listen to this, because this is what I thought too. When, when like they bring back book, I was like, why did y'all assume that's the one she loves? Like, she oh yeah that's that's kind of messed up like just because like they're they're both they're both black you think they're the ones that like were in the they, they were the they were the couple like she she could have been in a relationship with the white guy from Riza for all you know like that was that's that's very presumptuous of you ten seed to just make that assumption. I want you think that Bro, that the book should have taken him to task for that and he's like and another thing yeah <laughs> you know what's kind of messed up. <laughs> Yeah, that I would have been there for been, it. That would have been great. Oh I would have been there for it. <laughs> Anything else on the uh, the communication with the Ten C before we get into our ending? That would have been a great Dret Reno thing where Book shows up and and Jet goes, oh, th oh thank God, and and somebody leans over and asks Jet, what was that about? And she says, oh, I thought it might have ended. It, it could have just as easily been Tarka that they were going to about <laughs> drop in front of us. <laughs> Uh, she she wouldn't have made a cocktail then. Well, that's what she tells Stamets when she's like, "I'm already making a cocktail, Bobcat." I forgot that she called him Bobcat before, but the, the two of Did them like, determine... they don't like each other. They don't get along. Did we determine that that was just like like some random thing that Tignataro said? Like, does, does that have any 
bearing actually on Stamets. No, I think yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. But um, yeah. I, I like I kind of liked it. Yeah, and and, and I liked seeing Adira's uh, reaction to it. Oh, um, that was that was fun. Uh, yeah, Adira's great. You're just that that actor, Blue Del Barrio. I love watching Blue Del Barrio because they're. Their face is so reactionary to everything. Like if 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 you watch like a scene with blue debarias in the background, they're just constantly just look at them. they're just like making all the they're just anything is that's <laughs> happening. Yeah, like um, I they're they're just fun to watch on on screen. Yeah, I guess let's get into our ending. They they wormhole back to uh to Earth. They have drinks and hugs with Tilly in the bar, uh, which I think was earned. I think that yeah, being back with Tilly, everyone's alive. We all made it. We got book back. We have Earth and Navarre. I think that's very appropriate and then the the saru tarina thing i said a while back my prediction was like we will only see them hold hands we will never see them kiss because yeah, i think it would just be too awkward to stay he's so much taller than her with his doug jones hoofs that he wears and just, it, i think it would just look too she weird just pick her up just pick her up and they could they could be like kind of like uh like holding each other on a like a couch or in a chair or something like that and and they could like have a little peck but but i also think because they both are kind of beta they're sort of aloof and sort of zen about things that that sort of demonstrativeness that might not even necessarily figure into their conception of romance yeah i don't, I don't think vulcans are going to be that into a to pda and i want them to do this the sarik amanda finger touchy thing i, I would like yeah, to see that yeah. i would prefer that over a kiss yeah no, I would I would be down for some finger stuff. I, I did. <laughs> There's the quote of the night. <laughs> down for some finger stuff. Um, uh, Kelpie and finger stuff. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> Um, I wasn't, I wasn't super down on like kind of how long it took them to come out with it, but I also didn't necessarily want them to be like uh, super PDA, you know, teenagers uh, about it. So, <laughs> so I think that, that that does work on that level that, that for sure it fits the, their vibe. And we have the, the goodbye with, with book and he's, yeah, he's off to do community service, which I, I actually think that's appropriate. You know, I don't want him to go to like prison camp in the 32nd century. Repente or nothing. Yeah, we're going to have him break into lithium. It's convenient to do to your season five writer's room because he's around and it's it's very easy to bring him back into the fold. You know, he has ties to the to the couriers. He has the ability to use a spore drive. So it would be very easy to come up with a reason why they have to go get book back. Yeah, I, I really liked the the punishment book was receiving, I thought was and maybe punishment's the wrong word. The therapy book the rehabilitation. Receiving rehabilitation the book is receiving it felt like a really good fit it felt like something that might actually give him some peace helping other people might actually help his because uh, he's the sort of guy who runs around and rescues aliens because they're on the verge of going extinct yeah. so you know he's that that's kind of his jam is helping people in need so yeah i really like that i liked the discussion with uh, uh michael and and Rillick about uh, Reasons Matter, yeah, uh, which you touched on earlier. I like that discussion a lot. And the fact that just to check the box, oh, you can have the Voyager if you want. You know, I mean, it's kind of nice to come back to that. Uh, felt like another thing that came out of, of the extra time they had to write the scripts is to bring that little beat back. Yeah, so I, I really liked all of that stuff. And the the goodbye, he says, Kwakani Yaquin. I liked the sentiment behind that of we've, we've parted ways a hundred times before and... So th this isn't really like a, a goodbye, goodbye, we're just going to part again, but we'll meet again and part another hundred times after that, which also telegraphs to the audience like, yes, book will come back in season five. He will not be permanently gone. Do not worry. Calm down. I said I had three outbursts watching this episode. The third one was when 
Michael tries to say uh, Quokani a Quinn and 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 book corrects her and she's like I got it right the first time. There's like their chemistry there. Like I chuckled out loud at that and uh, you know I was watching this kind of smiling because I I think they are great and I I love this this uh, romance and I am eager to see more of it in season five. Uh, I don't want them to to break them up. I don't want them to to kill one of them off. I I'd, I'd like to see this relationship continue. Playfulness is always a kind of fun thing to see in relationships. It's it, it's one of the most humanizing things I think you can sort of depict. Yeah. Roddenberry always liked to end with a scene where they're all kind of being jokey to show show us that they're okay. And I thought that was overdone in the original series. <laughs> but I think with this relationship, we really needed the they're okay jokey yeah. scene. After them being at odds for, for a few a, episodes. A very good use of that trope. Mr. Book, I think you're getting more human every day. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I think that Michael would be in such a good mood at this because she was like, yeah, I'm just glad that you're not fucking dead. Like, like you're going to go do community service. Great. That is fantastic. I'll see you when I can see. Just I mean, you're alive. That, that's more than I thought I was going to yeah. get. You're alive and I don't have to fight you anymore. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're not enemies. You know, <laughs> so I, I could see why she'd be riding pretty high. I would, you know, saved Earth and Navarre, too. That, that's she probably should have kicked his ass a little bit for for taking some shots at her when they were try first trying to blow up the DMA. She should have been like, I, I didn't forget he's about grieving that. the loss of his planet. You got to you got to give your partner a pass on that one. I think uh, uh, I, he shot at her. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I I'd like the the montage of all the happy endings. I, I just thought that the the narration they gave Burnham might have been like a little too like obvious. Like um when she's saying like new new relationships are forging while people are reconnecting with old ones. It's like I know I can see Vance and his kid, and I can see uh, Saru and Tarina. You don't have to spell it out for me. I I, I was fine with her spelling it out. I like. But it. I, I do like uh, a good Captain's Log entry, so uh, easy to forgive. I like that Book gets to keep his cat in in uh, rehab too. They uh. Uh, you know what? Why not? Sure, he's uh, he probably needs that. No, they should have had that. your planet. Now we're taking your cat. <laughs> send it. To, send it to the dude from uh, Star Trek Prodigy. He, the cat's got to go bust asteroids with the Cations uh, <laughs> there. That's the only punishment uh, I'll accept for it. <laughs> uh, my my wife actually said, "Are they ending the show?" That felt like a great way to end uh -huh. the entire show. So <laughs> And I was like, no, no, there's another season. <laughs> we have the, I guess, cameo or maybe stunt casting, if you want to be cynical. Yeah, the Earth, sure. Earth president uh, played by uh, Stacey Abrams, which I thought was, I wouldn't have done this, but I, I, I can't bash them too much for it. She's in real life. She is very vocally a Star Trek fan. Who just happened to have uh, happened to have probably kept Trump out of uh, second term. Uh, through her she's actions. a very effective organizer. In fact, I'd say she's better at winning other people's elections than than winning uh, her own. And she's currently running for governor in Georgia, so I wouldn't expect to see her again in season five. I think this might be all we get, or just it'll be like a one scene thing again if we ever see her again. It does kind of like really root this episode into you know modern day twenty twenty politics, and um, she didn't feel like a professional actor in her scene. She uh, it, it felt a little weird and awkward to me, but uh, you know, I, I think it's cool that uh, it, we are bringing relevant people. They're getting like a lot of news coverage and stuff onto Star Trek. Cause I think p if people are talking about, Oh, well, did you hear what they did on the Star Trek Discovery show and stuff like that? I think that's probably a generally good thing for the franchise. And arguably, um, you know, I, I saw someone in the, uh, in the comments talking, uh, going back to my, convo earlier about the episode feeling toothless or that maybe the broad strokes of the show in some ways that's the most uh, toothsome thing that they they did is uh bringing in a person who's a very real politician to represent the hopeful uh president yeah. of uh of earth 
Yeah. And um, of course, I guess you do like run the risk of alienating your audience that doesn't agree with her uh, with her politics. There, there, there's, there's policies I disagree with her on. I would say like I'm I'm closer to the the Federation vis- vision of, of the future. I'm a little further left than her on a lot of stuff. But that being said, I did talk a lot about how I think this episode and the season, a big part of it is about like, you know, communication and reaching out and talking to people. And so I don't want to be the guy who is like, um, you know, like I don't I don't agree with with all of her policies. So I don't want her in this episode. Like, no, it's like that's the thing me and Stacey Abrams have in common is our is our love of star trek if anything that should uh, that should open dialogue between us i'm going to use this opportunity right now even though i know this will never get to her but just to ask her to to reconsider her stance on the the oppression of the palestinian people but uh that means that that is my utilization of the of the open dialogue uh star trek style that this whole season was about and, and it is cool that we have Earth back in the Federation. I liked that. Yeah, I like that. It was it, we didn't spend a bunch of time to it. No, no, just tell me where I sign. <laughs> uh, Diggs Briarthorn has an excellent comment in our live audience. He says there have been worse celebrity actors in Star Trek before, and uh, I am so thrilled that they they went with. Stacey Abrams instead of someone, you know, like Elon Musk or uh, Jeff Bezos or someone like that. Yeah, they could have certainly done a lot worse. I'm, I'm, I'm not at all uh, outraged or anything. And uh, I would just say, like, I might have gone with uh, Brianna Joy Gray or uh, I don't know. I'm sure I could think of like another uh, another cool Star Trek fan out there. But but yeah, it was cool to see to, to see Earth uh, being peaceful and not like shitty isolationists that we saw in season three and they're back in the fold and to see. Starfleet HQ back at Earth. The name of the episode is Coming Home, and it is both Earth coming home to the Federation, but also Federation HQ coming home to Earth. And I think they'll keep the uh, the HQ, is, it'll kind of be like space stock. It'll be, you know, floating above Earth orbit in season five, I predict. Yep, it's a prettier, it's a prettier sort of space stock. It looks a little like modern art-ish. <laughs> yeah, well, 32nd century. Yep. But uh but yeah, do you have anything else on this on this episode before I go into the Gorneggs? The the episode for me broadly continues my tradition of ending Discovery seasons uh disappointed. <laughs> I, I I don't know how else to say it. It's uh it's it's it, it, my heart my my heart is uh is is, is uh, always struggles with Discovery. Um Sometime a few months later, I start to miss the show, and then I see the trailers and with the actors. But even that is also wearing on me. So I'm unfortunately ending, I would say, not in a good place as far as my uh, fondness for the show. Well, that is uh, a sour note. Yeah, I appreciate hearing y'all's comments. I like yep. to, I, I like to get the other perspective, and it sometimes recrystallizes my own. But uh, I can't, you know, I, you you either gut reaction that you know are feeling yeah, no, it. Yeah, you can't or argue with it. Sometimes you're not. Yeah, you can't. Like, yeah, I. I can't tell you you don't feel the way you feel, and just like you can't right. tell me. <laughs> Brian, what about you? How was your uh, your uh, response? I didn't think season four was quite as good as season three, but I knew it wasn't going to be. The energy of what is the thirty second century like is was just going to be almost impossible to top. I, I just I love the premise of three, and I knew that you couldn't recapture that energy. And I didn't think they were going to come up with anything quite that mind blowingly cool. And yeah, they didn't. But I really like four. Four is easily my second favorite season. I, I love Paradise's show running. I guess my one comment would be if Tark had just been a bit more honest about what he wanted, yeah. maybe they could have tracked down the Guardian of Forever and sent him <laughs> off. But no, to that, his that's a beautiful timeline. point. Yeah, like Tark Tarka was the one actor here who wasn't communicating and he wasn't that's he true didn't, he, he didn't have that openness yeah he was he's very much one lie after another uh even with his allies and he almost fucked yeah. over the entire galaxy because of it yeah and our heroes actually might have been able to oh there's this thing called the guardian of forever you just need to find it i'm sure it'd help you out so <laughs> well, it helped out worse people than you so <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know if I can deny that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to season five. Overall, season four of Discovery, I think uh, I appreciate, you know, the stability, the the sense of, of vision that I got with it. Um, I, I do like Paradise as writing. The show finally feels like, uh, you know, it's not changing direction constantly. It, it understands what it is, what it's good at. It is the most emotionally aware Star Trek show. I heard someone describe it that way. And like, yeah, this we call it the touchy-feely show sometimes. And sometimes that can be annoying. But you know, this, this show, it, it's not just like a discovery of the galaxy, but also like... Uh, like a discovery of like your inner self and 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 thinking of your own emotions and being aware of your own emotions and the emotions of people around you and it wears that on its sleeve proudly so um yeah it it knows what it wants to do i wish that they hadn't drawn this out for 13 episodes they're fixing that with season five it's going to be a 10 episode season so that makes me happy i'm just concerned about not getting enough tilly next year and that's kind of my only um my only worry going into season five Hey, Father, am I right that they have now spent uh, the same number of seasons in the 32nd century as they have not in it? Uh, yes. And so as of next season, they will begin having spent more time in the 32nd century. Right. Which I think is appropriate. Uh, that kind of feels like they're the true home of the show. Yeah, it, it does seem like if it is going to have an arc, it will have been going from like uh, war with the Klingons to, you know, to mirror universe to to, to a hopeful future, uh, you know, in the far-flung yeah. future. Yeah, that's true. Maybe uh, all you need to do is hang out with Pike, and that'll kind of help you get your direction. That'll, that'll I actually do think need to go. I do think that that kind of helped probably galvanize the writers. They saw how fans reacted to that, and and that probably pushed them somewhat like towards this Like what direction. Tilly was talking about, about, like, I found the place I was supposed to be, and I did what yep. I needed to do. And I, yeah, yep. you know. maybe the show is Tilly. Cool. Well, uh, that being said, I'm going to real quickly go through the Gorn eggs I have here, our Easter eggs, in-jokes, and continuity connections. There aren't much, but there's one big one I really want to uh, point out, and that is, you know, the ships. We got some cool ship names, uh, but the biggest, baddest, coolest ship we saw, they treated it very ceremoniously. It was the USS Mitchell. It comes through and um, saves the uh, shuttle um, from getting hit by some asteroids. The reason why I think this is so neat, and, and you know, they mentioned the Mitchell in an earlier episode. I don't know if y'all recall, but I was trying to talk about it in the Gornigs. I was like, why is it called the Mitchell? I don't think it's named after Gary Mitchell. I don't know who it's named after. Well, actor Kenneth Mitchell, who suffers from ALS, and I I, I don't think he's able to, to act anymore, so he didn't get to appear in the show, but he did say at Star Trek Las Vegas that the Discovery writers found a clever way to include him in season four. I got to talk to him on the Star Trek cruise a couple weeks ago. Ago, I, I asked him, there's only two episodes left of Discovery. Is, you know, is there anything we still need to keep our eyes open for in these last two episodes? And he, he's unable to speak now. He has to talk through the typing with, the, with his eye, like you know, Stephen Hawking style. But he nodded his head, yes. And I, I, I was watching this, and it dawned on me uh, after I, I finished watching. I was like, the USS Mitchell, that cool ship, that's named after Kenneth Mitchell. And so I thought that was really, really neat. And I'm glad that they kept him in. Apparently the captain's going to get a commendation. Yeah. So I so. picture in my mind's eye, the captain of the Mitchell is a, not, he's not named Mitchell, but he's played by Kenneth Mitchell. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Some of the other ship names in here, there was a, there was a Pathfinder, the Takov, that was that seed ship that Non used to hang out on. So that was their helping at the evacuation. Um, the Credence and the Nog were mentioned before. And there's apparently a new Yelchin as, as an Anton Yelchin. So the, that made me sad. That made me as sad as when book. Do you remember in season three when Burnham was collecting all the black boxes from the blown up ships? One of them was from a USS Yelchin. 
So apparently there's like a new 32nd century Yelchin too. And a Greco, I don't know what Greco means. The only Greco I know is like Greco-Roman. So I don't, I don't know what the USS Greco is, but there's a Greco out there. Also, uh, President Relic mentions the Borg when they talk about the 10C having their minds linked. She says they're linked like the Borg. That's actually a big deal. That means the Borg still exists in the 32nd century or someone who is who's present in the 32nd century would, would be familiar with them enough that, you know, I, I think they're, they're probably still have some relevance out there. So I don't know if we'll ever see the Borg in Discovery. I'd kind of be curious. I think that's more of like Picard's territory right now, but uh, maybe we'll find out what happened to the Borg in that time. It, it could be a vague reference to wherever we're headed in season two of Picard. Um, that like by the end of the season, we'll know why she's, why she, I mean, I'm an advocate for peace with the Borg. I think that'd be interesting, but uh, we'll see what happens on Picard. Uh, my favorite Gornag in this episode of discovery was the mention of Tiburon, the planet, which is so cool. I love Tiburon. That is one of the, the few examples of really solid continuity in the original series. They've just mentioned Tiburon as a planet in two different episodes. They mention it in the Savage Curtain. Uh, one of those uh, weird uh, evil people that the Excalibans create had done terrible things, terrible war crimes on Tiburon. And also uh, in um, The Way to Eden, the big-eared cult leader of all the hippie people, he was from Tiburon. So they just like reused the name of a planet from a previous episode. They didn't do a ton of that in the original series. So I love that. It's like the original nice. Gornag. <laughs> the episode was dedicated to April. It says for April with love. I had to look into this a little bit, but uh, I, the speculation I see that is for April Nasifora. I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. She was a producer on Berman era Star Trek and also has worked on Picard and Discovery. And she's battling cancer right now. So mm. uh, the season was dedicated to April. Very cool. Somebody in the comments called the was talking about the ship names and th- and their that tribute there or, or uh, acknowledgement uh, as as being classy and that's that's that really is definitely what that is. Yeah, you know, and it's easy and you need the writers are always having to think. Well, what's the name of the ship? What's the name of the ship? So that's a good efficient way to put that in there. So all that being said, I just want to thank everyone who joined us, not just for this conversation but the whole season of Discovery. It's uh, been another interesting journey, and we will be back next week to talk about. Picard season three, episode four. You know, we have seven straight weeks of Picard. I think that's going to be a fun ride. I'm, I'm, you know, we're a third of the way into it. I'm having a good time. So we'll see how these next two thirds play out. And then I'm so excited. We get 10 episodes of Strange New Worlds. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then, All right. uh, you know, I love our animated shows. Uh, we have more Prodigy and more Lower Decks later in the year. We'll get that, you know, maybe like late summer. So very cool. And uh, me and Dave are going to try to get back on over to the Bajor sector to our favorite Cardassian space station, Deep Space Nine. We're hoping we can do some Deep Space Nine season five talk uh, the, the summer. I, I Maybe I shouldn't even be, be announcing it now. It's too early, but hopefully we get that. I'm thinking like July we'll be doing more Deep Space Nine. Maybe, maybe we can do a five and six. Give me that Ron Moore. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of Ron Moore. But yeah, so lots of cool stuff uh, coming down the pike. And uh, thank you for joining us again. We'll be back Friday, 7 p.m. Central. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.